0: Welcome to the NWO vs WCW podcast, a podcast where we dissect and explore one of the most important periods in wrestling history and see if it stands up to the scrutiny of time. Every episode, we'll be taking a look at another WCW pay-per-view, starting, of course, one of the ones that changed the landscape of American wrestling forever, Bash at the Beach 1996. I'm your host, Dave C, and I couldn't take this mammoth task on without help of my two amazing co-hosts. Firstly, hailing from the windy city, Connor, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, Dave.
0: Great. Uh, I want the fans to get to know you a little bit, so I got a couple questions. If you, if you're ready, let's do it. I want to ask, how did you first get into wrestling in general?
1: I've been a, like a casual wrestling fan like most of my life. I think I got into wrestling from a friend. We would rent tapes from Blockbuster when that used to be a thing. We used to rent pay-per-views, so I remember the the biggest pay-per-view I remember us renting was the WrestleMania with the Iron Man match and Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, I was I'm huge into High Flyers and stuff like that, so that, that pay-per-view really resonated with me. To WCW mainly though, I don't remember getting into WCW until the video games in the N64 era, so I, I think the video games were a huge part of me getting into wrestling in general as well, but the, the, the WCW games though in particular was what got me into WCW and made me like a huge hardcore wrestling fan in like during the Monday Night Wars.
0: What do you hate and love in wrestling? What what are your peeves and what, what gets you really excited about wrestling?
1: Yeah, as I as I kind of mentioned, like I really love the high flying like athletic wrestling. So the cruiserweights from WCW, I'm gonna be a huge fan of. Obviously, uh, I'm a smaller guy myself, so I always appreciate the things you can do with your body and the smaller guys in particular, what they can bring to the table. That's not just I'm a big guy and I'm gonna shove you around and to bring it back as like a more specific thing like a favorite angle or favorite like rivalry i have is like rock versus mankind i love the dichotomy of the the two characters and the few that they have like the i quit match and the royal rumble 99 and i just love believable storytelling and bringing that like intensity and believability to like the promos and and also to the matches as well
0: and do you have a pet hate? Is there anything you see in wrestling often that you're like, oh, it actively turns you off watching a product? Or uh,
1: There's a lot of them, and it's going to come up during this podcast, and I'll put them out. <laughs> that That's fair. That's fair.
0: <laughs> Within WCW, I want you to tell us your favorite wrestler from WCW all time, and if it's not the same, your favorite wrestler from this period that we're going to be looking at.
1: It'd probably be Chris Jericho. I don't think he comes up. I can't remember when he actually debuts, but as far as right now, it'd probably be somebody like Dean or Rey Mysterio. Like, like I said, the high, the high Flyers, the Cruiserweights, that's what I really remember from watching the WCW. Like, I watched WCW probably from, like, the end of 98 to 99 where i watched it like from week to week so that's really what i remember those guys i remember the the Ralphus and greenberg promos that jericho gave those are th- what resonated most with me
0: you've picked definitely an excellent time to kind of to delve into this because this is the undercard the cruiserweights are absolutely amazing on these shows like regular four four and a half star matches we're going to get to watch in these pay-per-views and some of the best matches of that era i think this was actually, the podcast was Connor's idea. He got me in on this. So uh, even though I'm hosting, this is Connor's brainchild. Why, why don't you tell us how you came up with this?
1: Well, a big part of it is obviously I'm going to give a shout out to OSW and the Attitude Era podcast. Uh, those basically came up with this idea, of the three-man team going pay-per-view by pay-per-view. And nobody really did this kind of WCW big angle. This is kind of the opposite of the Attitude Era. And this is a a period of wrestling that's one of the hottest periods in w c. w and just wrestling in general and nobody has really jumped on this specific area yet I mean there's other podcasts that are going at different times of w c w and but I want a specific cast that just focused on kind of this era this arc. And I wanted to see how it holds up because I only caught the end of the NWO. I was like, the NWO kind of fell flat for me. Like when I got into WCW, I'm like, who? I'm like, NWO was so lame. Like Push Goldberg and the the cruiserweight. <laughs> so I wanted to see what, what like the beginning was like and like how it became what it was. So that's the main reason why I wanted to go into this cast and i didn't really give wcw that much of a chance i was more of a wwe fan my brother was the wcw fan so sometimes i watch wcw there are parts that i i really liked and there's parts that i really hated that i'm going to point out <laughs> later on so th- that was the main reason and i just can't wait to watch uh, some more wrestling from the 90s so our second
0: co-host hailing from parts unknown no not really that's just something i've always wanted to be able to say
2: hailing from dublin ireland it's fergus how you doing fergus I'm good. I'm good. To be honest, I thought you were going to come up with nicknames for us. like give us the full announcement introduction and it was going to be great
1: i was going to think in terms of nwo like i'm not sure if i'm the medium-sized guy i'm not sure who the big man is and
0: (laughs) i I think i would definitely be the big man
2: (laughs) (laughs) i didn't want to say dave but yeah yeah probably
0: (laughs) i I don't Um, i don't have the i don't have the voice to pull it off i was practicing my road dog a bit i'm like i can't i can't do that justice bruce buffer i guess is more uh wcw right
2: bruce buffer yeah we will be talking about bruce buffer at some point tonight that's for sure
0: Okay, so so people get to know you a bit better, Fergus, or Gus, as I'll probably call you a lot. I know uh, Gus in person, so it's probably going to come up quite a lot. How did you first get into wrestling as a whole?
2: I can remember, I'd say the first thing that I watched live or attempted to was actually the tape that you were renting, Connor, which is WrestleMania 12. So I used to watch the hell out of that, and I did buy that on tape. But I think the very first match or kind of show that I saw would have been very, very early 90s, probably 92 or 93. So you're talking about as Sean and Diesel and stuff are starting to come through. So maybe even a little bit later than that. And they're doing their whole buddy tag routine and Sean gets to lose his smile a lot. Yeah, I would have been around the same kind of period as you. I, I can definitely remember going to the video store, finding whatever silver vision tape I could get my hands on and probably watching it about eight times in a row on a day just to get through it. I would definitely be a WWF guy, first and foremost, and I wouldn't have watched WCW until, say, probably the middle of the Attitude Era, so through these Monday Night Wars.
0: What are your hates and loves? Like Most love things in wrestling, and then pet peeves, stuff you hate to
2: see. Well, I enjoy cruiserweights. Cruiserweights are great, and they tend to have good technical spectacles, I have a particular affinity for big white dudes beating the crap out of each other. Particularly when there's a like a very good brawl between people, or if it's so nonsensical that it's just ridiculous. I can appreciate some of the more absurd things. I think it's because of the WWF, because it pushed big dudes, big white guys who like have stupid big muscles and steroided out of their gills <laughs> throughout the throughout the period. So i can appreciate that kind of stuff i'd say the worst part about it and which is going to be very interesting is that i really don't like when there's no logic so this will be a bit of a test to kind of get through as uh, I, i don't know how much our listeners are going to know about wcw and how they've passed through the years but their ability to be logical and have continuity is a bit poor and suspect at the best of times
0: when Dusty's your booker for parts of your history it's going to be hard to keep the continuity to, so to when, be fair
2: I think Dusty is bet one of the better bookers they've had <laughs> because he was able to remember who'd put over himself
1: as far as a commentator though uh
2: we'll oh, that. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and, and so you're a big w, uh, WBF fan at the time and what hooked you into WCW is it mostly the wars like Connor or was there anything else that kind of got you into watching it
2: what I seem to remember I need to double check this I seem to remember during the time period say 98, 99 nine so back over in Ireland the only way to get wrestling really was to watch Sky and you kind of had to have Sky Sports if you wanted to watch Monday Night Raw and they used to show it live at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning whatever it was every Monday so I typically couldn't watch it at that stage because it's way too late and I was maybe 10 so my parents wouldn't let me stay up but as I grew older what I seem to remember thinking is that because it was part of a package deal so like like a cable package. Uh, there was other channels along alongside with it. And one of them was Bravo. And Connor, Bravo is essentially like a men's channel. And it used to have like sports and men's topics like cars and all this kind of stuff. And because you're a teenager, it also probably had women who would like wear bikinis and so on and so forth
1: sounds like a 90s thing yeah exactly
2: yeah you're a young teenager and you're like on where's the best place i can i can see women without my parents finding out and giving out to me and bravo kind of filtered that through for you but one of its offshoots was tnt and so it had tnt's programs which were wcw so randomly i would just start to watch monday night nitros from say the 98 99 period and that's kind of where i I caught up then on where the other people were going and how like there would be big deals then when people would jump from show to show and sometimes it wouldn't make all that much sense why they were going oh my god it's this such and such person and you're like I've no idea who that is that's probably the the breeding ground of uh, where it all started but I've watched wrestling like I said probably since I've been about six so way more than three quarters of my life at this stage that's quite sad actually <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, who is your favorite WCW wrestler of all time, and who is your favorite of this period?
2: See, Connor Stolmine, mines Chris Jericho, so I'm gonna think of somebody else. Uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, there's there's lots of people that are in this company through the years towards the end that aren't don't really do their best work there. So, like, if I had to pick somebody who's there who's probably still gives it their all, I mean, I'll still love I'll love Randy Savage for pretty much everything, and Randy has his moments over the next couple of years uh, in wcw between 96 and until the end so i do really enjoy a rick flair throughout most of this period he gets some crazy storylines that he has to work with <laughs> and you can really see the the highs and the lows of somebody's ability to care as they get paid to do a job
0: so unfortunately the fans need to get to know me a little bit as well so i'll, I'll answer the same questions i first got interesting, i think about 12 or 13 i was kind of mid to end attitude era guy i would be watching it after mankind won that first title on raw uh, even like a little bit further than that so i would have missed a lot of the monday night wars and i'd be looking back at it when i became uh, more enfranchised fans and through a lot of the kind of <laughs> i like to call it propaganda pieces that have been put out by the WWE e uh, over the years it's interesting me a lot to get into this podcast and Look into it myself and dig through the different interviews people have done and look at the history. My hates and loves in wrestling, I, I'm known as a pretty negative guy, so I'm going to have a lot of hates. But my pet peeve is really close to you two guys, which would be inconsistencies and storylines. So you guys can tell me that a wrestler can use magic. You guys can tell me that Sting lives up in the rafters. And, you know, that's just where his life is and he just comes down sometimes. And no one's willing to hit him before he gets his harness taken off. I'm willing to believe all of that wrestle crap, but it has to be consistent. And if something isn't consistent, that really kind of gets to me when there's there's logic holes. I love when people try, you know, different things. They don't have to be that different, but I love like little differences in performances so it's not just the same old show, same old moves over and over again. There's wrestlers currently that I hate because they go through 10-year stretches and they're good wrestlers, but they never change up their routine. They never push themselves out, uh, out there. So I, I do love wrestlers that are willing to push it. And, and and that's what's great about this era. There's a lot of misses, but there's a lot of people trying crazy, stupid stuff. My favorite WCW wrestler of all time is a guy we probably miss is Vader. It has to be Vader or, or Cactus Jack for me
1: as Cactus. Yeah, we, we miss both of them. We yeah, just they're both,
2: both, yeah, they're both gone.
0: Yeah, so we, we miss two of my favorite guys and a lot of good rivalries. Both of them have really good uh, matches with Sting. And I think of this period, I was a big fan of DDP for a long time because I thought he was super underrated. What recent history in his yoga routine that he has out there, he's become, if anything, slightly overrated. (laughs) So, before we delve into the pay-per-view, I'm going to go and break down a little bit of the history of the era. It gives you a feel of the tension and why these storylines are relevant. And if you don't get the context, you're not going to get why all of this is important. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to throw a few dates and a bit of a history lesson at you, because that is why the tension is there. But I'm going to try and keep it brief, because you could do... A whole podcast series on the history and the downfall of this company. So we're we're going to begin in 1982. This is when WWF is formed and Vince Jr. buys CWC from his father and starts buying up regions and talent, trying to become national. At the same time, Georgia Championship Wrestling, which is the first NWA territory to gain... T, uh, cable tv access changes the name of their show to world championship wrestling this is the first time we see the name on american soil there was an australian company named that but it's the first time we start to see it uh, it is still an nwa territory and throughout this whole history we're going to skate between is it nwa is it its own entity and we won't see until later where it becomes a very separate entity this is two companies vying for a national stage This is a long and storied rivalry uh, where the WWE leads it for most of the time, but the first big date that we see mattering is April 9th, 1984, and this is when the Briscoe brothers, who are stockholders in Georgia Championship Wrestling, uh, sell their stock to Vince along with the time slot on the TBS network. This becomes known as Black Saturday because the Saturday the 14th of July viewers tune in to TBS expecting to see WCW but instead get this WWF clip show. Why this date is so important is because it's the first move to having no diversity. The territories are already getting eaten up and now there's only one cable TV show and it is the first time Vince manages to piss off billionaire ted they were promised an original show by wbf but instead what they got was this mini clip show so this will lead to ted and ollie anderson along with some other executives starting championship wrestling from georgia meaning that the wbf isn't the only tv show being shown later in 85 under pressure from turner the wbf sells the time slot and the wcw name back to jim crocker promotions now this is where The waters get muddy, a lot of territories, NWA territories are eaten up by this new WCW which is a combination of the Jim Crockett Promotions and the Championship Wrestling from Georgia and becomes WCW. All you need to know is that WWF is very far ahead and any time that WCW tries to get some leverage, WWF cuts them off. So big examples of this is when Starcade is advertised and broadcasted, Vince McMahon threatens cable companies saying if they don't show if they show Starcade and not Survivor series or they show Starcade at all he will stop them from getting further uh, WWF shows this also happens for a show called bunkhouse Stampede that was advertised and supposed to be their second biggest show and Vince showed the first Royal Rumble instead on the US network and made similar threats this meant that Crockett wasn't going broke his company was making money but not half as much as was predicted because the cable companies were not playing ball but ultimately, WWF is way in front. But in 1998, to make sure the company keeps going, Ted Turner just buys it. And this is when we start to go more towards wrestling, kind of glitz and glamour, matching the WWF WB, very much to try and make more easy money. And they start to drift further and further away to the NWA to the point where it's just completely disconnected. They're both trying to claim that the world title is theirs while Ric Flair owns it. And eventually, it becomes the WCW big golden belt as, as we would have known it. The next big significant date, again, with Ted's money, the company can keep going, but is not threatening, is when Bischoff comes into power in 1993. He kind of has a year where he's vice president. It's floundering. It's doing much of the same stuff and silly storylines. But in 1994, Bischoff declares open war On WWF. And this is really where the atmosphere for this podcast is going to come in, and a lot of what we're going to talk about. This is when they start using Ted's money to get people like Hulk Hogan and Macho Man in. And one of the most important things that Eric gets done is he makes Monday Night Nitro, which is a live TV program on an Aerosol competing with Raw. The first Nitro we see is the 4th of September, 1995. It's at the Mall of America, which is an amazing venue for a wrestling show. But, very importantly, on the same night, Raw is not running because of the U.S. Open tennis coverage. Uh, Lex Luger, Luger, who hasn't been in WCW for, I think, three or four years at this stage, and has just come off a major push, and WWF shows up on Nitro. In fact, he was on a house show for the WWF the very night before this. And this is huge. We're getting live showing of someone jumping ship, and this is a major shift in the wrestling atmosphere raw at this stage is still taped eric bischoff is giving out raw results live this is a massive change from the disney tapings that wcw had where they spoiled their own endings and having champions that weren't going to be crowned for three months and showing them to the public this is still affecting wrestling today these kind of live shows and excitement and over the next while using big money getting people like hulk hogan randy savage to sign and finally nitro is on top for the first time in about 10 years, the WBF aren't the biggest promotion in North America. And they're losing this war that's been declared. And now we're going to talk about arguably the most important jump over. Hulk and Randy are pretty big. And that's Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. But these live shows had Scott Hall coming over into the audience, att- attacking a commentator, bringing up this excitement that WWF were just not able to match. WWF for once were kind of getting beaten at their own game And they didn't really have a reply for it This live TV was trumping anything WWF could do And is, I guess, the main hinge on which the war is being fought And winning the viewership And we're coming into this pay-per-view On the back of all that hype Genuine excitement And something you don't see in the modern era Just not knowing what's going to happen People did not know what was happening They did not know who this third man that was spoken about the entire time I think you can feel it in the event. There's a genuine buzz around the stadium. What what do you guys think?
1: Oh, definitely. And it just WCW was in like a really weird spot. We're about like six months removed from Halloween Havoc. That's like with the Yeti and the monster truck match. And oh god, (laughs) the
0: monster truck match.
1: Yeah. And something I wanted to to bring out too. Another tactic that WCW used too was they went to two hours the night hall debuted on WCW oh, yeah. and that was a huge thing that uh, got me into WCW as well, the reason I got into it was they went to three hours and so I would watch the Cruiserweight matches before Raw started, so that was a big part of me <laughs> hooking me into WCW Yeah, yeah
2: I was going to was gonna bring this up is that if, if you have any issues with some of the decisions that are in wrestling today, it's probably born out of this era because they were constantly trying to one-up each other, Nitro went to two hours so then WWF had to follow suit. They had to do it as well. Then they were claiming every single episode was live and back then WWF Raw Wasn't it was at least uh, one out of every two I think at the start it was completely taped and then every second week they would go live and then they were just forced They had to do live because Bischoff was just sitting on TV and giving away all the results So they're responsible for the third hour And breaking it up into two parts, I think if you watch some of the Nitros, you'll see they have two different commentator teams, depending on which hour it is, almost showing like which one is the more important hour. Uh, It's the second one, by the way, because Eric is on it.
0: (laughs) So how we're going to go about breaking down these shows, we're going to talk about some high spots we're going to... you know talk about what we thought about the match and its implications on the company as a whole mostly our enjoyment levels while we have a beer and talk about wrestling we're also going to bring you to some of the in-between promos and what we think of production the commentary and stuff like that so if, if you guys are ready i'm going to dive right into the show let's do this So, we, we start with what I'm going to argue is one of the most fine pieces in the show. Just a small opening promo Dusty, Heen, and Tony all sitting out telling you what's happened in the last couple of weeks of the build up to the pay per view. Though it does very much set the tone of this pay per view is about one match and it's the main event at the end.
1: Yeah, I actually love this. It really got me hyped up. Like, I remember going, like, watching this for the first time. I was like, all right, well, what am I thinking about WCW? Is this really going to hook me? Because I remember I didn't like the commentary team of you know Tony Schiavone and, and Bobby the Brain here that much compared to WWF commentators. But this hooked me right in. I was like, wait a minute, this is actually pretty good. So I'm, I'm actually really interested in this, and I'm just kind of going cold into this. So I thought they did a really great job in setting it up and really getting me hyped up for it.
2: Oh, yeah, they do a really good job of setting up what the goal of the show is, what matters, what we're gonna be talking about, what's important. I, I'm I'm disappointed Dave you didn't notice that I'm gonna point these out every now and again but the opening theme song is a rip of Seal. If you, <laughs> if you listen back to it, it's crazy by Seal. So I'll point it out when it when it comes up for particular people's theme songs, but uh, Turner is quite good at making some knockoff secondhand music-related theme songs for people. I also have to love, I have to point out that Tony Schiavone has an absolutely amazing mullet to go <laughs> along with his cummerbund. Like he's not just wearing <laughs> yeah. a suit. He yeah. has the full cummerbund. He so. looks like
0: he's he's going to go to prom. It, <laughs> yeah, kind yeah.
2: of. <laughs> he's all ready to go to the dance and he's just waiting for his date. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. it's dusty. Uh,
0: so we're, we're not going to go over that there's dark matches and there's pre-shows. We haven't watched them. We've just gone with the main card, the important matches and the first one has to be one of my favorite ones of the pay-per-view. It's Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Psychosis. They get about 15 minutes 20 to run a match, which is pretty amazing. There is, what, nine matches on this card, on the main card? Something like that, yeah. Something crazy like that. And to give this much faith to these two guys is pretty insane. Do you want to talk about the build-up at all a bit,
2: Gus? I mean, there isn't really much of a build-up. Uh, this is just an example of what's going to be pretty typical of WCW pay-per-views as we go through them, that they're going to start off with a Cruiserweight match, whether it's a Nitro, or pay-per-view, whatever kind of show they run. Generally, it's good for, to be at least average to good. A lot of the times, like in this case, it's great. This one is just boils down to it's two guys who've been wrestling each other for at least five years at this point. Both guys would have come up from the Mexican scene when they first debuted, they're they would have known each other they would have traveled a lot and they would have done this match a lot in different places as far as i can remember they were in ecw right before this yeah
1: late 95 they were in there so
2: they probably have done a very similar match to this in ecw even like less than a year ago it's one of the best matches you'll ever see as an opening card match Especially with nothing really about it other than they just want to beat each other. To be honest, I find some of it is the the crowd kind of doesn't really know how to react to it at the start. They're busting out all these moves that they're just not used to. So going like
1: through the beginning, kind of like my notes here. um, First, I wanted to point out that Bobby, he says, come on, let's get this over with right into the match. Uh, Way to to kind of bury this match. Yeah, it was really cool to see uh, Ray. He debuted in the Great American Bash, which was like a, a... a decent watch if you want to watch a good pay per view from just a month before. And psychosis yeah. is technically his first match, although he had a match at Class Champions early in the year with Conan. But I don't think that was technically with WCW at the time. So this is kind of technically his first match in WCW.
0: Yeah. So, so speaking of the commentary team, uh, you're talking about Tony, of course, effing up in the first couple minutes of the pay per view. They get Mike Tanay out for this match. Which yeah.
2: Is- I, I t- he doesn't even get introduced. I was going to bring this up. He just starts talking. Yeah, he's just there. Hey,
0: Mike. Oh, hey, guys.
2: <laughs> he also doesn't appear after this. This is the only match I did notice. Uh, on I've watched a couple of other shows. And this is kind of a thing. He seems to be like their cruiserweight correspondent, and he kind of is invested in those particular matches, and then he disappears again. But it's very strange.
1: Yeah, it's strange, but it's awesome. I just, I love how he kind of clarifies the history, the culture, movesets, and like not just the wrestlers in the ring, but just like the whole idea of Lucha in general, and just kind of like yeah. it makes it seem like a big deal, which it does become in the cruiserweight and like going forward to WCW. So it's kind of like a nice introduction to this because. The cruiserweight division, like, had been gone for a long time. Because I think, like, during the Bill Watts era, he banned, like, top rope moves or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so that's why...
2: You couldn't jump off the top rope. You got DQ'd <laughs> if that happened.
0: Yep, the, the ratings went down a lot in that little little period. Him showing up, the, the, the problem, he, he does a great job commentating. The, a little bit of problem I have with it is it's very obvious when he's gone. He's a bit wooden, but he has a lot of knowledge and he can actually call the moves and the spots... He's probably seen them a lot before. They make a reference about him working on the uh, the wrestling insider at the time. I don't I don't know if that's true. They just make a reference. So when he leaves, and none of the guys left are knowledge guys. None of them can just call a match and tell you all the moves going on and the spots going on. It's kind of glaringly
2: obvious. <laughs> when well, he, Tony can kind of do that
0: a, a little bit. Even when when uh, when Tine, at the end of the match, he just kind of leaves without saying anything. He's just gone, and they're looking at the replays. None of them know what to call the moves. Like, oh, if Mike was here, he'd call it the bushwhacker thing. I'm like, no, he wouldn't. He would just call it the thing he said five minutes ago, guys.
2: I think it's typified (laughs) by the fact that there's a promo after this and they talk to Conan. I
3: cannot believe it. Uh, we were just talking about that match we just saw very quickly Conan is u.s champ but uh, describe for me what happened in that in that last match what was that final move Well,
4: oh, psychosis brought him up for a top rope splash mountain and ray mysterio caught him in the air with a top rope frankensteiner
0: uh, there, there are some insane spots in, in this match and i think gus is referring to the crowd getting shocked at some stages and i think that's if you look at the rest of the card Every match is very American. There's two or three high spots, and that's it. But this is high spot, high spot, high spot, high spot. And the crowd by the end are going out of their minds. One of them I really wanted to note early in the match, which I think even I'm going to say this a lot, but by today's standards would still be insane. And it's psychosis on the apron. And Ray does a jumping Hurricane Rana from the top oh, yeah. rope to the outside. And yeah. they,
2: yeah. oh, it's just absolutely crazy. I'm going to stop you right there, Dave. It's very important. They're called Frankensteiners. They are called Frankensteiners. They're <laughs> we still can't, we can't get Scott angry. No. But so. <laughs> ECW boys like Rana. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh my
1: god. Yeah, yeah they're
2: like oh, it's a Frankensteiner, and they're like it's clearly not.
0: <laughs> yeah, no one got injured during this move. It's only a Frankensteiner <laughs> if someone falls on their head halfway through the move. Thank you very much.
2: <laughs> that one is mental. The psychosis does a suicide dive. And he just about hits Ray on the outside, but he just eats the guardrail. Oh, yeah. Ugh, and that looks brutal. particularly brutal at one stage.
0: The, the big thing you'll notice here is that the outside is not really set up for suicide dives. So, again, modern wrestling, even in indie shows, there's parts of the arena where you get, you get a bit of space between the guardrail so you can get these suicide dives off. Not so much here. There's not that much space. Every time there's a suicide dive, someone's raised knee shatters off the guardrail at one stage, and maybe that's the start of his oh, degenerative <sighs> knee.
1: I think that's my favorite call. It's he, uh, Mike Tanay calls it a uh, twisted Asai moonsault or whatever. And the yeah. other commentator was like, "What did you just say?" <laughs> they go, "Whatever, man." Where do you get all these names? Is bo- yeah. what Bobby's. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah that that spot is also insane i've only seen ray from his
2: wwf stuff i I really liked he must have been quite surprised then with how different he looked
0: oh yeah a lot a lot more slender a lot more agile also i've seen a lot of ray's stuff because i was watching a lot during that era when he kind of got into wwe
2: first it's just so different this is like some of the coolest spots i've seen him do by the time he reaches wwf he can't physically do that stuff anymore yeah. basically he he ruins his knees over the next like five years
0: I, I do note about four or five times he la- i can see him physically landing on his knees like four or five times in this yeah. match connor do you want to talk to the to finish the finish is absolutely amazing
1: yeah ending sequence so psychosis drives ray into the stomach into the corner which might might have been a mistake though because you kind of see like ray awkwardly like moving into position for the final spot so i guess that'd be like my one critique that was like kind of awkward in the match but whatever the final spot's awesome he So that's like Ray up for, I would just call it like a razor's edge. I don't know what Conan calls it after that. I forgot. Uh,
0: Splash mountain. It's what's (laughs) called. Yeah. Splash
1: mountain. (laughs) But yeah, Ray midair, Hurricane Rod out of nowhere, basically gets the one, two, three crowd pops huge for the finish. And yeah, I was really surprised at how like Ray was over really in the match, or I guess just because all the moves were just awesome. The awesome back and forth between psychosis and Ray doesn't, doesn't matter that these wrestlers just had no presentation and they have weird masks, and and Bobby makes fun of Psycho's hair twice, and even gets his name wrong at one point. So like even out of all that, they they get over in a huge way, and, and they both get over too. I thought commentary does a great job of of calling this match, and compared to like all the other matches, like yeah. this was definitely the best one. I was like, WCW commentary is actually good, but then this, later on, I was like, oh, this is what
2: we usually get. This is like one of the best matches I think you could ever watch to open a pay per view like yeah. it's just so well put together they know what they're doing they don't have to worry about like figuring stuff out they just know because they've wrestled for so long and it just works mike to kind of holds it together like you're saying bobby doesn't seem to care whatsoever which seems to be a bit of a hallmark for him by this point i can call it now this is the best match on the on the show as yeah, from a wrestling to. perspective anyway and it's not even close as we'll see
1: and I also like to add to that that final spot. I knew I saw it before. It's basically a similar spot in an ECW match, but it was with Ray and Huvintu Guerrero. Hoovey. I thought, and they kind of pull off the the spot a little bit better. But Hoove, great.
0: That that's a man that if he wasn't as mental, could have gone places. Yeah. So I think it's pretty unanimous. This is an awesome match. If you're gonna watch one match uh, from this pay per view, you know, main event is historic, but this is in my, in my mind close to five stars. I don't think you could give it five stars on just the action, but for where it is on the card and what it achieves, amazing. So we transition into this where Mike Tanai just leaves, <laughs> no ceremony, just leaves, doesn't show up for the rest of the pay-per-view, as we said, and we go into a Conan interview.
3: Tonight, I talked earlier on with the Nature Boy Ric Flair. He seems to me to be very confident. I might even say, Conan, he is overconfident. This title is on the line. Flair wants it badly.
4: Well, maybe he's got reason to be overconfident. You know, he's done it all. He's won that world title 13 times. Nobody else has done that, but tonight I'm overly cautious because everywhere he goes, he has an entourage. I haven't been here long enough to form an alliance. I haven't been here long enough to be afforded that luxury. But I'll tell you something, Ric Flair. If your manager gets in the match, I'll cripple him. If one of the women get into the match, I'll clothesline him. If that football player gets into the match, I'll
2: chop block him. But Ric Flair, I'm going back home with this U.S. title probably one of my favorite things to do with wrestling, especially when the logic is poor, is can you decide just by his interview whether or not he's a good guy or a bad guy? Because within this interview he manages to, to be like, I fight every night, I'll wrestle against every challenger, and you think, yeah, yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. And he's like, and I mean if I have to beat up women, I'm like, wait, what?
1: What? What
2: <laughs> I know I remember yeah. him later on having a lot better mic skills. Not
1: just WCW, obviously in TNA as well, but I remember his his promos with the Wolfpack being a lot more better. Maybe that's Rose hidden glasses on, but this is why we're doing this podcast. Oh, yeah. I'm interested to see how Conan uh, turns out as we go Um, on.
0: Yeah, I'm not a fan of Conan, but I I recognize his spot later on when he embraces kind of this, uh, I don't want to say stereotype, it's not stereotypical, but when he becomes like angry anti-establishment Mexican guy which he rides to, like from the wolf pack he goes to his whole career TNA as well as his like kind of similar character he finds himself you'll find out when we talk about the flare match I do not like his work and he is a terrible baby face he's a terrible clean baby face and this interview shows it I'm just I'm going to clothesline women you, one of your women come in the ring bam clothesline that's not that's not
2: it, is that, that just your bias coming into play Dave in that like <laughs> wrestling has told you to treat uh, certain people in a certain manner
0: maybe maybe no i just what makes me hate conan a bit of a spoiler for when we're talking about this match is that rolling clothesline man oh my god it's so bad oh every time kills me a little bit to watch it but we we transfer from this interview into the next match, which is... Uh, Connor, <laughs> why don't you give us a breakdown? I know you've done a lot of research about this match.
1: Uh, well, I've tried to do as much as I can. This is a Carson City silver dollar match. Oh. Although we're in Daytona Beach, so w- whatever. <laughs> but it's between Big Bubba and now Big Bubba. I, I don't know why he does that. It just it made me laugh. Uh, but Big Bubba is also known, more known as the Big Boss Man from his WWE days. And he is taking on John Tenta. He is also known as Earthquake from his WWE days. And just a few months ago, he was known as the Avalanche, also the Shark. This was just like maybe a month or two ago in WCW. So this is our first random object on the pole match. So what was on the pole was a sock filled with silver dollars. And basically the the lead up to this match is like John Tenta. He was fed up with the Dungeon of Doom and he kind of gave a promo. I'm not a shark. I'm not a fish. I'm not an avalanche. I'm a man. I'm John Tenta. (laughs) So, and then basically we just have this match. Tenta and Bubba, they've been feuding for like a month or two. They had a match at the Great American Bash. Tenta defeated Rogers and he cut Bubba's goatee off with a pair of scissors. There was other matches where Bubba cut off Tenta's half his uh, hair half, half the side of his hair yeah and Tenta to said i didn't shave the rest of it because he wanted to relive the embarrassment every morning i'm like okay i guess that's his motivation
2: here <laughs> there's so much wrong with this match it's just like you've gone from like we said one of the possibly the best matches you could ever watch to open a pay-per-view to this to
1: this so that Dude. probably should be a hair versus hair match that would make
2: a little bit more sense but two that's, that's okay. fat white dudes who are wearing tops to make sure to cover how overweight they are, who can't wrestle, who clearly don't care about what's going on, and who definitely aren't capable of involving the gimmick in their match. Like, the very first thing I looked at when they say, oh yeah, it's a silver dollar in a pole match, and I'm like, that pole's too tall. Like, there is no way that either of those two men are going to climb up that pole without it A, breaking, or they're just not going to be capable in full stop. And then I realised Jimmy Hart is managing one of them. Not to give away the the crucial spoiler for this match, but Jimmy Hart is involved with getting the silver dollars. <laughs> it's one of the worst matches I've ever watched in my life.
1: It's kind of doomed from the beginning. Uh, from the beginning, John Tenta. I don't think he has music. I don't know if it's dubbed He does on not. From- he has no music.
2: No, he doesn't yeah. no have music.
1: Yeah, you know, it's just not the way to get somebody over with when you just have no, no, no presentation for them at all. And this
2: is also a good example of uh, Ted's overspending because. Mm-hmm. These are both WWF guys that would have been reasonable to okay through the late 90s and then just Vince ran out of things to do with them.
0: Tenta's actually a fascinating man. Con- Connor pointed me to some of the research and we ended up looking at his Wikipedia page. A uh, former sumo wrestler. In-, in modern wrestling, a lot of, uh, I-, I call it kind of a nerd generation. There's a lot of guys that are just more technically sound that grew up watching wrestling and love it. Back then, there's a lot of guys went, you're a really big guy. You look like you could knock people out in a bar and you're doing something else physical. Yeah, like? come over here. Would you like to come <laughs> fight? And that's exactly what happened with John Tenta. Oh, you're a sumo wrestler. That's really interesting.
2: Mm.
0: You, you could beat people the hell up, right?
2: Yeah, that's I mean, cool. it's still, it still happens. That stuff still happens. It, like they, they do, they do it in, in a bit more of a formal way now, but I mean, like, guys who don't get drafted for American football now, they'll just go, yeah, come down yeah. here. You're, you're yeah. over see, six feet tall. <laughs> tall. We'll see a lot shade. of that.
1: So I wanted to ask right off the bat, it's kind of weird... Of the who's heel and who's face in this match because
2: it's like John has to be the face,
1: right? John, he's he's definitely the face, but it's just so weird that like we're gonna have these things going on like later in this pay per view as well. So Dungeon the Doom, they're supposed to be like the ep- epitome of evil, kind of yes. Yeah. Like Dungeon the Doom is like kind of this weird thing that's just around anymore. They used to be the kind of this like cartoon supervillain type thing, and now it's just kind of like they're around. They're kind of like henchmen with Kevin Sullivan. And I understand that they're supposed to be healed, but, like, John Tunda does some heel tactics in this match. I know at one point he kind of, like, he just, like, stands on Bubba or, he like, walks over him. That's a very that's that, heel tactic. Yeah, he stands of. on his neck. It's like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. still
0: his neck. I'm like, that, that could kill someone. You know that when they put Jimmy Hart out with someone, so Jimmy's with Bubba in this one, you know they must have had the same concerns. Like, oh, people probably don't know who's the bad guy here. You know who's always the bad guy? Whoever Jimmy's with. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what Jimmy had there
2: there's two other big things that i love in this match is that one they go to all this pains to have a gimmick do you know it's the last thing they use is the gimmick but Mm -hmm. meanwhile bubba has scissors and a belt that he uses instead instead of using the thing that's supposed to win you the match i'll use other stuff entirely (laughs) and then at the very end of the match after he gets knocked out with the silver dollars they do a glorious close-up of his face and he's just talking to john tenta asking what's going on
0: yeah covering his eyes with the silver dollars so he can't see so he's just talking to tenta to see if yeah the match is over pretty much yeah john cannot be bothered to do a proper pin because if john gets off his feet it's going to be hard for him to get back on his feet there's one spot i'll point out and it's the whole the whole build-up is that bubba ties up tenta with some sports tape and then the commentator immediately and this happens multiple times in the night so that's why i'm putting out points out that he's only tying up one hand why hasn't he tied up the other hand then he beats on him with a belt which looks painful okay that's a good heel spot i get it you're not you can't wrestle so you need heel spots and then he brings in the scissors why is he bringing in the scissors why doesn't he just win, win the, the match, match.
2: yeah
0: <laughs> yeah, he yeah.
1: him more cut more of his hair oh. off yeah
2: bobby is really bad for this bobby is like too yeah. smart and always points out what they should be doing which obviously is what should be happening from logical sense. But when it doesn't happen, Bobby just looks like a dickhead. Yeah. Uh, it's brilliant. To end the match, uh,
1: Jimmy Hart eventually climbs up it because it's, it's brutally honest that nobody can get up it. I know Tenta tries to like cut the straps down, uh, but, but Jimmy Hart, he goes to climb it, and Tenta knocks out Bubba and basically is waiting for Jimmy Hart to come down. Knocks out Jimmy Hart, gets the silver dollars, hits Bubba, I don't know if this is a mistake or a botch, because Tenta hits Bubba with the Silver Dower, and he kind of pauses, and Tony even says, it's over, it's over, and he kind of waits, and then pins him, so, like, and usually, mm. I, I want to ask this question, like, isn't the end supposed to be that he hits him with the Silver Dowers?
2: Well, Maybe. I assume there's still a pin, but yeah, the kind of way that he stops, obviously, they are kind of got a bit confused. In fairness to Bossman, he makes sure to make it look like he's knocked out cold. After that.
1: I, I guess the, so. the rules of pole matches aren't really set in stone. No. <laughs>
2: yeah. to, to be perfectly honest, I, as far as I can gather from watching different pole matches, it's just an object you can get. It, you don't have to use it. Like it's just <laughs> a regular match which has no disqualification. I have to assume since he just started whipping him for sure. no reason. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that, and that's what I was saying. I was th- I'm, I kind of think of like pole matches as like ladder matches, but like. A different take on it. It was like a Mankind Rock match. It was a pink slip on a pole match. But like, So the object is like you have to win the match by grabbing the pink slip. So I, I, yeah. I guess I try to get that too much confused with it. I, I guess I wish I uh, more pole matches are like that because otherwise, like, why have it? I don't know.
2: We're, we're going to have to set you some
1: homework, I think, just so
2: you can get this down.
1: I tried to, and then I, I ended up with the Judy Balgwell match. I was like, no, nope, oh. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and there's a Viagra on a pole match. And oh, Luckily, God. we're not going to get into too many pole matches. I, I, there okay. aren't too many pay-per-views with it or I think our next one is there's a baseball bat on a pole match but that's not until 98
2: okay. that's that's fine then you've got like two years worth of pay-per-views to wash your, your brain clean of it
0: the, the last thing I'll point out in this match which I thought was kind of funny a friend pointed out to me when I was talking about how bad it was Is so it's funny that on pole matches you're supposed to put something spectacular on the pole like baseball bat that's a weapon that looks like it would hurt it's big it's flashy So you usually get things that look like they would hurt, whether they hurt or not. But a sock full of silver dollars, you could kill someone with that in real life. You could knock someone the hell out with that in real life. People use that as weapons. But it doesn't look very flashy. When Tenta hits him, it doesn't look great. You know what looked a lot better? When Bulba was beating him with a belt. That looked like it hurt, even though, you know, the silver dollars would probably hurt and do more damage. So it's kind of bad booking that they put this item on a pole that doesn't look good to hit someone with it's kind of wrestling 101 it's a slight point i just found it very funny compared to what they put on polls later
1: i actually wanted to point out one last thing before we move on this is actually the last appearance of john tenta on the podcast so he only makes a few random nitro and saturday main event like appearances yeah he's done he's done yeah i mean he he comes up on nitro the the following night and they just kind of like brush him off and it's just kind of sad uh, he actually comes out to Jericho's Evenflow theme at song at one point. I, I looked at some of his matches, and <laughs> he also has a short stint in Japan until he leaves for the WWF in 1998, and he becomes Goga from the Oddities. One of my oh yes. Yeah.
2: I forgot he did that.
1: Yeah, that's where that's where he goes to next. So I, I kind of felt bad for Tenta's WCW run. He went from wrestling as the Avalanche against guys like Sting and. Became the shark in the dungeon and some main events, but then he was just kind of reduced to jobber status, which is unfortunate because I've always been a fan of Tenta's work.
2: For a guy that big, he's he's quite decent. Like, although I I I would still be questionable that he's actually five hundred pounds as a man. <laughs> in that, yeah, because they 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 reference it a couple of times. I'm like he can't be that big because then Bubba is massive as well. So
0: we we go from this uh, glorious match. Into a Mean Gene interview with the WCW team, we got Macho, we got uh, Luger, and we got Sting, all face painted up, and it's kind of just a classic old school interview. It's very Macho, man, it's very old school Sting.
2: I for uh, all I got from this was that uh, Randy seems to start off at a level that's about three times higher than the other two guys expect it (laughs) to, and uh, they don't really know where to go from there, so they just kind of rattle off what they can while Randy kind of twerks himself or tweaks himself in the corner because i
1: love it he's like he goes like i like that yeah
2: (laughs) yeah and i love he does like the one thing that you're not meant to do with cameras which is turn your back to a camera and he does it constantly
1: yeah and he does kind of like a mistake there too he kind of sort of downplays the the third man reveal but he he does kind of give a real response like i don't care who the guy is like i'm just gonna do my job and kick the crap out of people so it's you know it goes two ways he is kind of giving a real response because like when you ask like people sports like yeah, you know, it doesn't what are you gonna matter who do? we play. Yeah, I'm I'm just gonna play my game or whatever. So like, but Sting kind of brings us back. He's like, uh, the unknown. It gives me goosebumps and stuff like that. It's like Sting is just so awesome. I, I haven't seen this much, this side of Sting, so I'm really excited to see like his promo work and just his awesome skills in the ring.
0: Yeah, Sting at this stage in his career before he becomes the Crow later on is just a better Ultimate Warrior, and he has a a lot of really good feuds with Ric Flair. He has one with Vader. He has one with uh, Cactus Jack. Some of my favorite wrestlers, some of my favorite feuds, and I think he's just really good at this. A bit previous to this, but at this point in his career.
2: This stinger does nothing for me. No, you he's don't like real it. bland, and he's really all-American guy, and he just never seemed to go anywhere. Like, from watching a lot of the older stuff, this is kind of, I think, one of his low points. Okay. For me, anyway. And it kind of bears out then with how he kind of transitions and he changes. He just sure. <laughs> I don't think he's ever really the same kind of wrestler again after this. To be no. Interested. Yeah, and I bring that up just cuz I
1: I haven't seen that old Sting before. Like I'm just I only the only Sting I know is the Crow Sting. So this is
2: basically my first
1: introduction into him.
2: This is basically the very end of his previous character. He's not really that guy anymore, and you can you can see like he's growing out his hair. He doesn't have the bleach blonde in it like he used to and it's not spiked up and stuff. So he's at least not as stupid as uh he gets played out to be when he's <laughs> feuding in years past. Man, Sting was good for agreeing to stuff To stuff that uh, <laughs> he definitely shouldn't have done. Like, he was a very, very gullible character in the again past. And so. again. It's a good promo, though. It, it kind of it highlights, again, like, from the beginning of the show, it's like, this is what the most important thing is. We're going to fight these, like, outsiders off, and we're going to make sure that we defend WCW's honor and stuff, which I kind of think points out some of the, the weird face and heel inconsistencies because some guys are heels but like there's essentially a heel heel group that's way more important so some guys kind of are kind of thrust into this role where they're not really a bad guy but they're not a good guy because they're trying to help each other but they they wouldn't normally be so some guys are just kind of off I think on the show
0: In general I think WCW is quite bad for this uh blurring the lines of heels and it's because a lot of their heels historically we're also bookers. So I think the four horsemen at a lot of stages are just the heels, but they book themselves so strong and they act so cool that the face comes off looking like an idiot. And they turn into the heel, and then there's just this like double heel feud of pathetic face versus actual heel. This happens a lot. I think Randy is technically feuding with uh Ric Flair before this happens. Rick is definitely just the asshole in the feud, or is supposed to be. But Randy comes off looking like an insecure moron, and he's kind of the heel. And then, like, he's a heel that now is helping the face team and is allowed back into the arenas to fight. And the Nitros bring this huge inconsistency to heel-face dynamics. And then the pay-per-views were left figuring out who's to heel and who's to face. It happens mm. pretty often.
1: Yeah. It'll it'll come up in... Uh, there's a promo layer that really shows this point, which we'll get into.
0: We'll jump across to the next match, which is Diamond Dallas Page versus Jim Duggan. They get about 540 in this match. And it's a tape fist match. It's also... For the
2: Lord of the Ring ring. Was it actually for that? I, I thought they said, oh, uh, I don't know.
0: <laughs> it, it's Whoever wins gets the Lord of the Ring ring. I think Duggan currently has it in his possession. He doesn't own it, but he has diamonds.
1: No, he assets. does. <laughs> See, well, this is what happened. So, Diamond <laughs> you, you Dallas know. lost it on the Nitro before. Oh, he, lo- he actually lost it. Okay, I thought it was Lost it. and Because DDP, he won like a tournament. I think it was uncensored. There was there was pay-per-view before Amer- Great American Bash. Like DDP won this tournament or whatever, so what he was supposed to like a title, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know. Do you what... know what? Do you know what
0: the ring represented?
1: It's it's basically like a number one contendership, I yeah. I, I believe.
0: All in all, it's not very relevant because they just forget it's a team.
1: <laughs> basically, yeah. The yeah. storyline too that's uh, going into this is Duggan finds the Lord of the Ring in the toilet, and we basically have this match. Oh my god! <laughs> and he like was like gonna give it back to DVDp. He drops it, and then he hits him with a tape fist, and that's why it's a tape fist match. And makes yeah. sense. Yeah. This uh, makes sense.
0: So I guess that tape fists hurt more than normal fists. I guess this is a thing.
2: You're putting more, <laughs> more force in it. I, I don't
0: know. You're protecting your knuckles so you can punch them harder, or something is the theory. I don't know, but they both come out with tape of fists. DDP is doing his, taping his fists as he walks and throwing it at the camera. I do love over the top. It's a bit like over the top Jericho, over the top DDP kind of does it for me. I think it's very funny.
1: Yeah, I'm, this is actually the first time I've seen him heal. I'm just used to the the face, self high five, bang DDP. Yeah. From no, the, he's the really WC. good at
2: this. Yeah. He's really yeah. good.
1: So straight off the bat, USA chance. DDP born
2: in New yeah. Jersey, so it's okay. I love Jim Duggan, <laughs> USA Everyone's chance. Everyone's kind of going, there's two Americans in the ring, but okay.
0: I, I love that the heel has to get angry. So Jim Duggan's whole yeah. thing is people shout USA, and even if you're born in the USA, you've got to be angry at the crowd that they're <laughs> chanting USA. That's just the heel's job in this match. Start from finish, it's a cut. It's just a very average Duggan match. Duggan does his spots, he does his Mongo kind of strength Throwing big ham fists and shouting, oh. It's just very normal, Duggan. Kind it, of it's,
2: it's a very average match. If you're keeping score, DDP comes out to a Nirvana rip, and it's quite clearly Nirvana. It's a very average match. It's fine. Like, Duggan has to get his heat back afterwards for whatever reason. Like, <laughs> yeah. uh, it doesn't seem <laughs> that, to
1: be. That's just Duggan in every match, yeah. Yeah, it's
2: just kind of like, yeah, I'll, I just want to hit him. And you're like, okay, sure. It's whatever. There was one spot where DDP
1: ties. Duggan's legs with taped at the oh, ring yeah, it's the like, outside, yeah. I don't know why we have to have two matches in a row where we have this have spot tape. So. Yeah, yeah it was
0: really bad they, they, all they had to do was mix up two like if they put this on two matches later people would barely notice but it's literally like
2: yeah I was about to point out like there's three or four gimmick matches in a row and it's just like I'm kind of done with this by now <laughs> I don't want to see this anymore so the
1: uh, there's the classic Dusty getting really confused in this in
5: the tape fist match, you, the boat guy, have all that fisted tape. Yeah, we know come that. Duggan ain't got boy. no tape. We, we, him. we know that. We've said that many times here. We saw him cut come- off. Oh, right hand. Yeah, his fists are bare. When did he take his fist? No, no. Uh, when he was tied up on the ring post, Dallas cut his. Dallas cut the tape off. We got, saw it. We yeah. talked about I it. What think happened? I, I think he even commented on it. Okay, well, he tried to kick at him.
1: It's like, oh, Dusty, come on. So, what you do
0: it. So he loses his tape but then Diamond never uses his own tape. Like There's no prolonged punching in the match besides Duggan punching without the tape. So it yeah, makes this, I, the stipulation makes no went sense. Went with the
2: diamond cutter, right?
0: Yeah, he, yep. so the, the finish yes. is he kicks the bottom rope into Duggan's crotch as he's getting into the ring and diamond cutters him. So it's a fine, dusty kind of... It shows DDP being smart, kind of outsmarting him. I don't mind the finish, but there was absolutely no reason for people's hands to be taped. Also, when Duggan gets his heat back at the very end, he has to put the tape back on his knuckles. But it takes more than two seconds to get tape on your knuckles properly. So it's just this clusterfuck of Duggan just doing it as fast as he can and just making a lump of tape on his knuckle and eventually just actually swinging it around his knuckle in circles and waiting for DDP to turn around the clock. Yeah, he
1: did that on the Nitro too. God, Another thing I hate too is he no-sold the... The diamond cutter as well was basically a couple of seconds later. He's just like, "Yep, I'm right up. Whatever, not affected." Yeah. And oh, never I mind. Hate, I
2: hate it's that yeah. It's another total throwaway match, like in the middle of the card. Yeah, th- so. this
0: is very much a match that should have happened on a nitro, but happened on a pay per view.
1: But luckily, Duggan's not going to be featured much on the podcast. He mainly appears just on random thunders and nitros and stuff. So he will. Uh, we will talk about him later on, but he's not going to be featured too many times.
2: No, thankfully.
0: So we'll move on from this uh, match. Onto the interview before the next one. Oh, there's two
2: interviews before the next one.
0: Yeah, Mean Gene first interviews Giant and Sullivan backstage. It's really weird to see Giant like this. And he's talked about this in interviews. If you see Big Show later and even Giant later in his career, he becomes more stoic and quiet like Andre was. But here he's very young and he's just always shouting and excited. He does the same in his matches. There's no build-up. There's no momentum change. He's always shouting, always excited, always popping up. And it's very similar in the interview.
1: And his classic finisher looks like we're gonna have some horse
2: stew later. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you got him there.
1: He
4: is
0: a scary looking man. Like when he is this fit.
2: Yeah, he's not like he. There's no fat on this body at all at this point, and he looks like he can genuinely murder you.
0: He was in high school basketball before this. If I remember, was it straight from high school? or Did he go to college? I can't remember. He played high level basketball because, of course, he's seven foot, million or whatever.
2: Is that the technical term?
0: Yeah, no, why, why would not he? Well, we we transition straight from this. It's a pretty throwaway, normal. We hate the other guys' kind of comments. They explain that whoever wins the tag team match later, one of the if the Horsemen win, one of the Horsemen will get a shot at the title. And we go into an interview with the Horsemen, Chris and Arn. I want to stop here real quick to mention that Chris will be on a lot of the pay per views going forward. He's he's pretty mid to upper mid card, and we're going to talk about him a lot. And we're going to avoid his future. It's obviously very grim. Our wrestling fans are going to feel weird watching him at these stages. Because he's working with Kevin. And he's working with his future wife Nancy. And it's hard to watch this stuff. But we're going to try and separate Chris the person with Chris the performer. And we're going to talk about performances. And what his stable and what Chris meant to the industry at that moment. Because that's that's all we can really do. He's a big part of it. In no way would we ever condone him being a major part of media or his legacy being carried on. I know it's a sensitive spot for some people, but it's going to be unavoidable to talk to him. So we're going to try and do it as professionally as possible going on from this point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Chris talks and Aaron talks. Aaron, I think is a really underrated talker. I think he's pretty straightforward. heel. what I really like about Aaron here is he talks up the face team for the WCW, which makes it feel really important.
5: Before I get the Sullivan and the giant, I want to talk about the outsiders briefly. Yeah, Eric Bischoff stood up to you and you shoved him through a table. Big deal. Tonight, I think you're gonna find a little rougher road with Sting, Luger, and Savage. Now, I'm no big fan of theirs, but I just want you to understand whoever you are, what kind of fight you're in. And maybe if you survive it, you can jump on the horseman. But the fact is, first things first, Sullivan, we're looking at this thing as a vehicle to get the world title back where it belongs. Now, I've been walking these streets of Daytona Beach for a couple of days, and all I'm hearing is, boy, what a beating Kevin Sullivan's going to give you. He stuck his hand out to you in friendship and drew back a nub. Well, that's the way of the world, the world the four horsemen live in. A giant, we chop you down in half. You're only three six.
2: Yeah, he does a good job of tying it in and he does a good job of like selling the story over while still getting his own bit in yeah yeah and it's really really good arn is brilliant though arn's like proper old school and he he gets it and he's just he's always been around WCW and he's like the long term guy at this point cuz he's been wrestling since like the late 70s or whatever so he's kind of coming towards the end of his career by now but him and it's kind of it's a good mixture of a team him and Chris because Iron is maybe a bit more limited because he's hurt himself so much over the years, but he's a really really good wrestler and they just it's a good good promo straight into the point they don't kind of really waste around.
0: This interview starts off really positive, with, as we said, Iron super love what he does here. Then you know, dweeby interviewer, not great. Chris is cringe There's a reason Chris isn't doesn't talk much in the rest of his career. He talks like he's some kind of cartoon supervillain. villain. Aren't talks like a really normal, we're tough guys, we're gonna beat you up. You know what, Team WCW, they're also gonna beat you up. What of it? And then Chris goes on like he's, I don't know, from a Flash Gordon movie or something like that. Why can't He's we... very cliched. Yeah, it's super Basically. bad. I gotta think, Chris Benoit, that you've got some unfinished, unsettled
3: business with the Taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan. Silent,
6: but violent. Kevin Sullivan, giant. The Horsemen have tolerated the Dungeon of Doom far too long. Tonight, we're going to finish off what you started. Sullivan, I'm going to leave you for dead. Giant, you've given us but another opportunity for the Horsemen to reign supreme
2: in the WCW like you it like he's definitely prepared this he has written this down and he's gone oh this is going to be great <laughs> like, like cuz i won't be able to think of this on the fly and you're like oh maybe you should have just not talked chris
0: yeah mate. Uh. do you think it's on his
1: hand <laughs> <laughs> He's not that bad. He's not like reading off the teleprompter like yeah.
2: like Luger no. does. Like obviously. Oh yeah, is yeah, terrible.
0: Yeah, you can tell they're trying to develop him at this stage in his career, but it doesn't. It doesn't get much better.
2: The guy interviewing them, Scott Marshall. Yes, is this guy. This, I want to talk about this guy. Real looking. He is such a dweeb.
1: Like he is,
2: <laughs> I could. I didn't even know who this guy was. I, I didn't was...
1: even know. Like it, it reminds me of the scene from Wayne's World Two when they meet <laughs> Handsome Dan. It's like yeah. this guy, like deep radio voice, and you just <laughs> look at the state of him: the glasses, the mustache, the crappy jacket, and jeans. Yeah, and... yeah,
2: it's a blazer, and oh, it's just everything about it is screams mid nineties. Yeah. And it's just like the, the very worst of you could get. And man, he's he's very distracting in that promo. I I love his
1: end. like, now let's get back to the ring, and he kind of like presents like a fist bump or something. Like I don't know how to describe it. Yeah, it's it's so weird.
2: (laughs) Tell me, Connor, because you seemed of a bit of the previous nitros. Have they started to do the angle with Benoit and woman? Before this? Or is this the special? No, show? it
1: kind of comes out of nowhere. Okay. Because nobody really knows that Kevin Sullivan... Or Nancy is Kevin Sullivan's wife. So yeah. it's it really comes out of nowhere.
2: Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll get back to it then at the actual match. But I was just curious, yeah. like, how... Because he kind of references her. But it doesn't really make any sense at the time.
0: The, the most awkward part of this... I make a bit too much fun of Chris. It's probably better than I, I think it is. But it's not their match. I assumed that they were going to now walk to the ring and have their match they got to walk backstage. I don't know why this is happening on the ramp. And they got to walk by the competitors that are coming out for the next match. The next match is the Nasty Boys versus the Public Enemy. Um, And it's a double dog collar match that gets 11.25 minutes.
2: 12 minutes of the best wrestling crap you'll ever see from so many different angles. Some of the most
0: quotable um, commentary of all time.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what to think about the commentary because
1: they, they just go off the rails. They start making up they,
2: words at some this, point. This but... is the one point in the pay-per-view where Dusty is like, I've got this. I know exactly <laughs> what I'm going to talk about and I'm just going to take the piss. And it's just... There's just some gold uh, mixed in because they're just like... They know it's absurd. The crowd knows it's absurd. And they just kind of go with it. And once you can buy into this, this match is great because you're just like... Oh, This is so ridiculous.
0: I I will say I agree. Both teams know what their limitations are and they know what they want to do and they go out and do it. There's there's no ifs or buts about the performance. Who's the heels is is a note I have here.
2: Who cares? cares? (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's meant to be a public enemy. The,
0: but the because, crowd the crowd just pops from the boat and Public Enemy are like yeah. singing their song when they come out yeah they're smiling night. when
1: they're coming out too. Yeah, yeah
2: <laughs> they also have like 69 as their number on their, uh, their hockey jerseys that, and like, stuff I guess it's willing to
1: note that yeah Public Enemy if you guys don't know who these guys are or where they came from they they were a major team, tag team in kind of like the introduction of ECW they were like like the big couple of guys starting ECW with like Sabu and like Public Enemy they were like kind of like the poster boy like new style of wrestling kind of this yeah hardcore we're not gonna look very
2: good but we're gonna you know beat it, you up hardcore lots of gimmicks involved we'll do some crazy stuff that you're not expecting to see and it's, it's similar to what they do on this in this match like they, they build around those tables and there's lots try of different objects while well, they try yeah <laughs> oh that table that table they try so hard and it yeah. just doesn't work
1: so I actually want to start with the the dog collars. So most yeah. like strap matches, you have a strap like around your like wrist or something, but these are like all around the neck. Actually necks, on so. their necks. Yeah. yeah.
0: Stupidly dangerous. Like not, th- and it's not even dangerous. Like there's matches where something's dangerous, but it looks really good for the crowd. You can just choke yourself. It's just needlessly dangerous, but I guess we yeah. find out later they're not as strong as they look.
2: No, so they're I'm, quite loose. Yeah. So that, maybe, right. maybe
0: there's no risk at all. It just seems like a, A weird thing to do and one of them gets whipped to the rope at the end of the match and gets tangled up and i i was dead scared something like this is gonna happen someone's neck is gonna snap back you know it's it's uncomfortable i think
2: there's lots of different spots in this match but like probably the funniest part is they battle out to the set and at this point like they haven't really shown much of the set you kind of know what it is but it's an actual beach type set with real sand and it has like a lifeguards chair and it has beach balloons and cool. all this kind of stuff and uh, so they just start using anything they can find which means that dusty gets to talk about rubber sharks for example it's a rubber shark. or he gets he gets to talk about how one of them is hanging 10
5: oh you can do much more with a surfboard than you can a rubber shark i can tell you that yeah, he's okay. about hanging 10 i'm just curious that. no you were yes, okay say wipe out
2: my favorite though is his where he trips over because he he obviously wants to make everything rhyme so he calls it double trouble bash at the bubble dusty it's bash at the beach it's double trouble bash at the bubble and he says it so fast you can't really understand what he's saying dusty loves this match you can tell like he's like ah this is just good fun who cares (laughs) tony seems to give up about maybe a quarter of the way into the match and he's just like whatever i'm just gonna laugh at this this is pointless like <laughs> two two notes i have
0: about this match one i think it's really funny that neither tag team's offense looks that good so both of them are kind of sluggish their punches don't look real and a lot of people look at wrestlers how real do your punches look kind of thing but it doesn't matter too much but their punches don't look like they hurt
2: part of the problem is a lot of the moves they're they're just no selling as well yeah they're not selling everything they're they're just not paying any attention to what's going on
0: yeah but these are old school guys and they just lamp each other with chairs
2: it was quite jarring to watch that yeah it really was having just watched Wrestlemania there where there was there's a couple of chair shots in there but it's all like protected leg and back and stuff and they wreck each other in the face with a couple of these.
0: They go Welcome out. to the 90s. Yeah, they yes. go out of their way to find a head. So they have clean shots on backs multiple times. And they'll like arc their shot to bounce off the side of heads. I'm like, oh, don't, no, no. <laughs> so it's really funny watching, you know, punches glance off people's back like they mean nothing. And then all of a sudden, one of the nasty boys will have a chair. And they're winding back really So I'm like, oh, he's only going to tap him. Bam, concusses them. I'm like, whoa, what is, what is that?
2: i i think it's a really fun match i think after you've you've had to sit through john tenta and big bubba followed by ddp and duggan this is like okay it's not great you're never gonna go this is one of my favorite matches ever but it was it's dumb enough that you can kind of forget about what's gone before and it kind of gets the crowd back into it because they really really don't seem to be invested because of the previous two there's two other things that i like about this one uh tony does manage to stay invested long enough to kind of further the main plot because they bring up why like eric isn't that at the pay-per-view so they add to that they're like oh he got kidnapped or he went missing or whatever was going on and then the second one which i thought was really cool which i don't think wrestling companies do very often which is they use a multi for the match when they wander out and they're not in the same vicinity they have two cameras and they show both of them at the same time I was surprised because there's so many pay-per-views I've seen at tag matches like ladder matches or falls count anywhere. They'll cut back and forth so you won't see anything because you might miss bits of it. Whereas this, they actually followed both of them and if you wanted to see what was going on, you could. You would see that they were generally doing their own spots at their own times. And you got to see everything, which I thought was really cool. It works for this match, all right. They use this
1: kind of style for World War III, and you just cannot tell what the hell is going on. so <laughs> but for this, the, it's a little bit more concentrated, so I, I guess I'll give you that. Yeah. My problem with the match is with hardcore matches, you kind of had to have like these big buildups or big spots. and I think they had planned spots, but obviously, table's not breaking, and maybe they just didn't plan like a big enough spot that would pop the crowd these teams have been feuding for a while too and they've had better like table spots as well so sags he pulls rock rock basically just you know he pulls him the chain off the corner and basically does like a, a flip but the table doesn't break it looks so painful and of course, Sags tries to tries it again. He tried the indie move, and he tries to do like an elbow drop, and the table still doesn't break. And I think the, the crowd just—they're really out of it at this point. I think I agree with you guys. They, I think the crowd was like slightly into it, but at this point, they're like, "Let's end this." <laughs> yeah, they just lost us. So I think there was like a, maybe ten seconds where I think the wrestlers were trying to figure out, "All right, how are we going to end this?" Because this is not working.
2: Oh, because the the end is really weird. Where all of a sudden the the dog collar isn't on. Uh, Rocco Rock anymore and he just uses it to, to punch him and then he pins him and you're like uh,
0: yeah they, okay. they do a in sequence yeah. so uh yeah they, they throw Johnny Grunge over the top so it looks like he's being choked the chain is pretty loose so it's obviously he's not and they close on Rocco with the other one then Rocco's chain has come off because they tried to Irish whip him earlier and it got wrapped around his leg so it snapped off you know they just pick up all the chains and they fist drop onto him in a very unconvincing fist drop, and then pin them Because this table spot hasn't worked. I, I agree with you. I, at first, my eyes couldn't adjust to the double screen, Gus, at the start. But I think it worked for the match when I got used to it. But then they stopped using it at the end. And after the match, public enemy get their heat back by putting... I forget which oh, yeah, one they, of the nasties through they the miss, table. They
2: missed the spot entirely, yeah. yeah they right, yeah. <laughs> and that was my other problem. Like, so, like, so, yeah, we were going <laughs> to we finally
1: get our like table spot. And then, yeah, then we and, miss it. And oh, you miss it, on. and you're like... Good job,
2: WCW. <laughs>
0: I thought you were, you were saying that uh, Tony was talking a bit about the uh, the angle of the whole pay-per-view, the, the third man in the match. But I thought they would have talked about it way more in this match because nothing like nothing's happening. Random stuff is getting hit on random guys. But Dusty is so into it that the, all he can talk about is the different items they're picking up. We'll see during the psychosis match a little bit, uh, during the Dean match coming up, during the Ric Flair match. They just go off into tangents about who, who the third man is while there's action happening in the ring. Where this was the perfect match to take a break from what's happening. No one cares what's happening on the screen. Let people watch and talk about who's the third man. Build up the anticipation. But
1: those- yeah. and, and Dave, th- this is probably my biggest gripe of wrestling and maybe just WCW in general. They're commentating this like a Nitro. Yeah. Like we've already bought the pay per view. You do yeah. not need to tell us about the main event. With Nitros, they they're just like you don't want to change the channel. You don't want to change the channel because this is what's maybe going to come yeah. up. Yeah, yeah. Pay per view. We've already bought it. It's like you don't need to mention it this many times.
0: Yeah, that, this is fair. So let us let us move on from the world of hardcore. We got another <laughs> another Mean Gene promo off, off this, and this is the worst Mean Gene promo of the night, in my opinion. He's
2: standing... I don't know.
0: I don't know. <laughs> I have a quote here from him that's absolutely dreadful. And this is when he is standing outside the locker room in front of security. So the security is stopping him from getting to the door. He's up to the door later
3: on. Right now, I have this shield here. That will not be the case out of the ring during our main event, the hostile takeover match. The electricity, even back here, is just absolutely so thick you could cut it with a knife.
0: <laughs> oh, don't put, uh, don't put a knife in the electricity, Eugene. That's not where you put a knife. So he just go. He's trying to say two. Di- I can I can relate. I do this all the time in my actual life. But he's trying to say two different catchphrases. So he just kind of. Rams them together into something yeah, yeah, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> doesn't miss a beat though. Doesn't miss a beat.
1: And Dusty's like, "Oh, I couldn't have said it better myself." It's like, really? <laughs> like, you sure, Dusty? <laughs> um... <laughs> yeah,
0: like you can't. Tr- this doesn't add anything. It's nothing that the the commentators haven't said in between matches before, and it's throw away. It means nothing.
2: Yeah. It, by this point, I'm getting kind of tired of promos. I'm like, please stop having them. Like they're only two minutes at most, kind of thing. It's just too much at this point. And I've seen me and Jane's face like four times already.
0: He's getting paid <laughs> a lot at this stage. I guess you can use him.
2: Maybe, yeah. They just had to fit him in, so.
0: Okay. And now moving on to our next match, which is Dean Malenko, who's the current Cruiserweight champion against Disco Inferno. This is a 12-minute match, and maybe you guys are going to be a bit surprised, but I actually enjoyed this match quite a bit. There's a really good storytelling in it. Coming into the match, Disco is the heel, surprisingly, with how Dean kind of acts. But Disco is this super cocky heel, he's been around for a while. Dan his whole gimmick is dancing is more important to rest- than wrestling to him. And he wants to like be he basically wants to be John Travolta. And that's his gimmick, he finds it more important than wrestling. And this annoys Dean. Dean is a pure wrestler, so he's like, Disco's not a real wrestler. Coming into the pay-per-view, he's like, I'm gonna kick his ass because he doesn't know how to wrestle, he preferred to dance. And that's, that's the whole thing. And as cheesy as it sounds, they kind of do a double turn in the match. Through, through the whole match, the whole point is Disco's an underdog and Dean Malenko is relentless in his offense. Dean doesn't have to do the heel shtick of rest holds and stupid, drawn out, taunting the crowd. He's just torturing Inferno for the majority of this match. At the start, the crowd hate Inferno because he's an idiot and he cuts an idiot promo before the match. But during it, they get slowly behind him. Like, oh, wow, this guy might defeat Dean. Dean's an amazing wrestler. And by the end of it, they feel pretty sympathetic for Inferno. What what do you guys think of this?
1: So when I first heard Inferno's music, I marked out a little bit because I was (laughs) like, I forgot about Disco's
2: music. So amazing. He's so khaki.
1: He's so cool. Oh, my
5: God.
2: I can't believe that that's the tagline. You're just like. Really? And they've gone all out on the budget, and they've gotten one disco ball. I actually like that. the
1: disco ball. So, okay, Ray Mysterio. Like, you don't. You're not gonna remember his entrance because it's just like some random music that kind of sounds like. Kind of sounded but, like Final Fantasy music. Y- yes, and that's what D Malenko's music sounds like, which yeah, exactly. is. I, I like Malenko's music way more, but Malenko's uh, is basically
2: uh, boss stage. Like he's a boss that you have to play a uh, fight. <laughs> that's
1: what yeah, I love, I love his music. But yeah, Disco's, his entrance, it's, at least it's memorable. I know that's what him as a man was going for. He was like, oh, I'm going to do something that people remember. And just, oh my God. I, him and Ernest the Cat Miller were my hate, most, least favorite wrestlers in WCW ever for growing
2: up. <laughs> and it's totally deserved because he's, he's not very good at all. But what Dave was
1: saying, I, do, I, do, I did appreciate uh, his selling in the match. And I, I actually did enjoy this match a lot more than I thought I was
2: yeah I think I think this match is about 80 to 90% Dean Disco is kind of along for the ride and he's just agreeing to whatever he's told to do that's what it really feels like when I'm watching it, it's like going he doesn't have a clue what's going on and Dean is just walking him through a match and going this is how I'm going to get you over just stop being an idiot, and I'll make sure it goes okay.
1: <laughs> Dean Dean's awesome. Uh, just, yeah. just to kind of give you some context too, like they made a great decision of making Dean the first cruiserweight champion because they they just brought the belt back. I don't know, maybe like a couple months ago, and mm. he beat Sinjiro on Saturday main main event or worldwide, whatever it was, on the Disney lot. It's just the perfect guy to put it on. He'll he'll carry it. Easy guy to book. Man of a thousand holds. Iceman. Like they. It's yeah. Simple. And he's, like, experienced, he's awesome, and, like, great way to start out our our Cruiserweight Championship. And I just love Dean's entrance, too. Like, he's just stone-faced, even, like, swats of fans hand away. Yeah, it's great.
2: Some person, he's like, "Ah, get away from me. (laughs)
0: Dean is so good, and he's just so underrated. And his uh, WWF run later on, you know, the Radicals coming over, I think that's because he doesn't do much mic work. And it's probably because his mic work isn't that strong.
2: His problem is he has no personality. like a gimmick wise i'm yeah like he he does really really good work in the ring and he's really solid and everything but there's nothing memorable about dean like you don't remember segments for him
1: right and that's the weird thing is like i remember disco but i don't remember linko at all
2: one
0: thing i love and uh one of my favorite things about wrestling is people that have really good in-ring psychology and it's why i'm harping on about dean so much it's there's a lot of guys that are really good at popping crowds right like the Tenta match even, Bossman and Tenta knew what to say and shout at the crowd. That doesn't make them good psychology wrestlers. They know how to get cheap pops. Where Dean wrestled a match by himself. As, as Gus said, it's 80-90% Dean. He knows when to spots. He knows when to change momentum. He knows when to tell Disco to do his spots. And he does it all with just wrestling. He never stops to jeer the crowd. He never just slaps on a stupid rest hold that's just a sleeper hold his rest holds are complicated submissions he does a prettier stf than john cena ever
2: everything makes sense everything has a purpose it's all part of a plan now i I don't know how much of depending on what kind of wrestler he is how much of it is planned beforehand but he it all makes sense it all goes towards the end goal which is his submission finisher and breaking somebody down bit by bit but he tells a great story because of disco just doesn't give up and disco kind of hangs in there and he gets his bits like he doesn't really get to do many moves himself to kind of give you the idea that he could win i don't think i ever really believed that disco is going to win but he does a good job of kind of going actually disco's better than we give him credit for if he puts his mind to it like i i have this written down i wish i knew it better in context dusty says at one point he must have never liked to dance which i have to assume is about dean i'm yeah. probably kicking some kicking disco in the face
0: it, it, it's <laughs> the end of the match because at the end of the match dean's kind of like giving it loads he's like this is my title it's not for dancing and he like throws it on the ground and leaves the ring or whatever and at the end of it he's like it's just because he's beat disco he's like "He mustn't have liked to dance a lot as a kid as a kid not even ever it's as a kid i'm like what do people only dance when they're kids dusty is this a (laughs) is this a thing
2: have you not seen dean do you think dean dances
0: (laughs) yeah the commentators kind of this is a minor thing because they do a lot of things we've pointed out that are bad but they give away the storyline at the start of the match so it doesn't matter for the people in the arena but at the start like the first time that disco gets offense in like oh can disco do it look how good he is when he focuses you're supposed to kind of leave that commentary for the second or third time he makes his comeback not the first time he gets two punches in so the commentators know what's happening in the match they obviously know how dean's gonna build this match and they kind of spoil the ending well not the end you don't know who's gonna win but they spoil what the story is of the match straight away
1: I thought the Texas Cloverleaf looks awesome. I don't remember it looking yeah. that amazing, but oh, I, it's just so good. He's so good. Well, I think the benefit of having him in the cruiserweight division too is that move looks awesome on smaller guys. Kind of like how the Lion Tamer looked in WCW. Like it looked more vicious instead of can like
2: cinch it in property.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's not just like this Boston Crab that he uses because he like mostly he wrestled bigger guys in the WWE, so he kind of had to use it more as like a Boston Crab.
0: The thing about Dean, and it's it's all these small things that I love about him, he has to be one of my favorite guys from this era, is his hand placement even with submission. And you'll get this later with some really good technical guys. His, the, he'll place his hands in way that are actually locking in submissions. Where guys that are really bad at locking in submissions just kind of hold them. And someone that's really bad for this later on in his career is the Rock is absolutely awful at putting on any submission move. I can do the sharpshooter better on someone in my living room. <laughs> <laughs> then he can he can do an athlete. That's because he holds his hand like it's not a submission. When you look at Dean, he's putting his hands in places and he's tucking the guy's arm under his uh, leg under his arm, like he wants to keep your body parts there, like he wants to hurt you, even though he's not. Dean makes the submission look vicious. That that STF looks like he is just ripping body parts out of Disco, and that's what builds sympathy for Disco through the match. You're like, wow, Dean's grinding this guy to mince like this looks this <laughs> looks painful and that that's why he's that's what, that's why i love the guy in case you didn't grasp it from how we're talking the finish is basically disco gets a couple heat spots dean puts the end to one of these heat spots is it a is he power bombs disco and steps over into the cover relief for the submission yeah
1: it's yeah. like the double hook power bomb or whatever it is oh yeah i'm not sure what it's actually called yeah it's
0: underhook power bomb or the woke power bomb i think so yeah fine match gets its point across Makes Dean look strong. Gives Disco his turn. This is the start of Disco's face run. I I think pretty great uh, match overall. We will go into our next segment. Oh, there's no interview this time. Sorry, it's straight into the next match, which is Steve McMichael with Queen Deborah, with his wife at that moment, right?
2: Yeah, his actual wife at the time. His
0: actual wife defeats Joe Gomez. So why don't you tell us a bit about (laughs) (laughs)
1: discuss?
2: I'm not going to spend too much time on Joe Gomez because he was just kind of there in wcw
1: and yeah this is the the only time we're going to be talking about him by the way
2: it's kind of the height of his career at this point he's actually if i'm if i'm remembering it right from reading old observers he's quite well liked by dave meltzer for a while because he thinks he has all the the tools and stuff but he never goes anywhere probably because he's not very good but the main point of this is steve mcmichael and steve mcmichael at this point in time is now part of the four horsemen which is still a big deal in yep. WCW. He's probably not one of the better horsemen throughout the years that you could say. But look, Michael or Mongo, which pretty much everyone will call him throughout it, is former football player, played for the Chicago Bears on their punishing defense that they won the Super Bowl. So he's like really, really well-known, tough guy, legitimate style guy. And he was a commentator for a while and then decided to join the Four Horsemen. So this is really kind of his coming out party i guess like where he kind of gets to show what he can do and he's just against a random guy because nobody's really going to care about joe gomez meanwhile here's the other guy who comes out to the horseman theme song which is awesome it's one of the few theme songs that i genuinely kind of go yeah i really like hearing that from wcw and he has this really attractive woman on his arm that like can kind of point it out and he's still a heel for for this match and this is what I was kind of alluding to earlier in that he's a bad guy, but he's kind of on the side of WCW. So whereas Iron did a good job of kind of pay- showing himself to be both, Mongo doesn't really know what to do. And it, it really suffers here because he's he's trying to be a heel, but he's not as much of a heel as everybody else. So he's just this kind of white bread nothing for <laughs> for most of the match. And it's a really boring match. I I got I got really bored watching this, to be honest. Yeah,
1: the booking of this match just doesn't really make sense. I mean, Mongo's obviously inexperienced. It's, it, this should probably be like a tag team match or something like that. Or this should just not be on the, the pay-per-view at all. Or just, you know, appear on a Nitro yeah. or something. Or if
2: it's on a pay-per-view,
1: have it way shorter than it is. Going back and watching this, this is just really weird. Because I'm from Chicago. I mean, you said he's a popular athlete. I, I mean... Mongo he's well liked in Chicago but like as far as like nationally like I wouldn't say he's like that well known like people like know from the bears it's like Walter Payton the Fridge or McMahon those kind of guys like Mongo's kind of like a secondary he was like one of the defensive guys like in Chicago we know him and he he was a great player in the
2: NFL for a lot of years so we should point out as like old Wrestlemanias he was yeah, he was I part think- of the group that was um, for the Lawrence Taylor Bam Bam Bigelow match. So he was part of that. Even that match for WrestleMania, that didn't do very well. Because like you're saying, there's a whole rake of people that are at a, at a pay-per-view. And they're like, going, I don't know who these NFL guys are. I can definitely agree with that. But like, that's, that's meant to be his appeal. It's like, oh, I'm a former football player.
0: The commentary make points that he isn't that old, that he's survived football without injuries, and so at least they're talking. They want to talk of his background. He does a three point stance into a corner or shoulder at some stage. I, I feel maybe he should have done that a little more. If he if do it do it a couple times or do it never don't do it once and then I guess he does a football punt thing into the ribs, which I kind of like as a spot. Either legitimate make yourself a wrestler or do more spots like that. I guess the match isn't that long; it's only six forty. The two things I've written down here and noted about it is it's sloppy. Both guys are a bit sloppy. Both guys seem a bit green. And as far as I saw from Joe Gomez, he's more experienced than Mongo, but not massively. They have the most botched sunset flip of all time. No one knows what to do. And obviously, both of them, being a bit green, don't know how to recover from a botch. So it looks it looks weird.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's um, a good point. Like, it's probably a better way to book this match is probably give Mongo with somebody more experienced. I, I know they were trying to go with this angle of... they. Gomez was involved with being beat up by the Four Horsemen or something like that, but
2: no one cares. Especially because they'd spent so much of the pay-per-view already, like building up the main event, and you're just at this point, you're like, I really don't want to see this.
0: Yeah, I want to see the main (laughs) event. People are chomping at the bit. The crowd weren't that into this. They liked the, the punt thing into the guy's ribs, you know, field goal is good they kind of booed for that but then he has a sexy woman so they cheered for other things i don't know the finish is mongo giving the mongo spike which is a tombstone pile driver that is terrifying this guy is green as puppy shit as you would say and you're asking him to do one of the most dangerous moves in wrestling at the time is the tombstone pile driver and i'll give it to him he pulls it off pretty clean but one slip and that guy's neck is broken I do not like him having that as a finish when he is that new to wrestling, but that, that's his finish,
2: apparently. You're going to see a decent amount of Mongo, uh, I think. so.
1: I do not remember him from this period. so um, He kind of just, hangs he, around.
2: He never does anything particularly awesome, but because they believe him to be kind of the celebrity, I think he gets involved in a lot of stuff that he probably shouldn't. Sure. There's
1: other celebrities that are going to come up from Chicago that um, I really can't wait to, to get to. Those, those, those
2: are my nostalgic moments. Yeah, they're, coming they're, in there. That, that's a little bit down the line, yeah but it is we'll
0: move on from this match. next is a flare promo and it is the flariest of flare promos with mean gene of course calling it as well
3: i'm joined once again by miss elizabeth i'm joined by woman please you distract me i can't do a job as a professional if you're going to constantly do that to me rick flair you've got to have other things on your mind this evening an opportunity of gaining yet as i said earlier Another trophy for your large trophy case. You cage, can never have enough
4: trophies in life. Now, Mongo did it once. The Nature Boy will do it twice, and then Double-A and the Crippler will take down the Devil and the Giant, and tomorrow night at Nitro, woo, I will be a man with a U.S. Championship and a World Heavyweight Championship, Mean Gene, La Cucaracha, woo, brother, it's Bash at the Beach, and we are here in Daytona to stop! Woo! And profile. Take a look at yes. what's not south of the border, brother, but right here in Daytona. Hey, Elizabeth, Woo! I'm very curious. Uh, what Come kind of a man? They say that you're a man with a thousand holds. Tonight, brother, you gotta meet a man that has unlimited knowledge of the greatest sport in the world right mean gene do you, me, do you mind if
3: i talk to the ladies don't mind at all. i would brother. assume across the street at that big large uh hotel overlooking the atlantic ocean uh, elizabeth you're going to be throwing a little party i know you've got some extra money <laughs> in your pockets these days
4: oh absolutely there's going to be a great big party
3: great big a great big party yeah <laughs> is it something that i should be included in
4: oh i think a woman would like that
3: Woman, is that true? Yes,
4: I would. I'd have Liz tap into that big source of money she's got so we can have a private party,
3: Jean. A, 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 a p-p-p-private pri- party? Yes, yes. I have no idea what you're talking about. Please, mean Gene, don't embarrass me. me make me.
4: reference to one more point. Macho Man, we know you're focused. We know you've got great plans for later tonight. But Macho, never stop looking at that camera. Never stop, stop thinking, wondering, it. and praying that someday, woo, the lovely one could be back home. Cause brother, it's never gonna happen, woo.
3: I think, uh, Rick Flair, you have said it all, as they say in the beer commercial.
4: My friend not only said it all, done it all, woo. Conan, grab your best hold, kid. Nature Boy coming your way, woo.
2: Gene just comes across as this really creepy old guy being led along by a much younger woman. Uh, And it's just... uh, He does all the cringiest... Like, I get what he's trying to do, but it's so comically over the top.
0: At the end, he has his hand around her waist. And I'm like, it feels lecherous, almost, you know? Also, Flair doesn't know who Conan is, and it's a bit
1: obvious he calls you him know ma- better flair come on
0: yeah he calls him the man of a thousand holds that's dean malenko that's the wrong guy flair the the interview already starts to do it we've talked about it a bunch it's really blurring the line between face and heel again because he's saying cocky things but at the same time he's just like yeah i have beautiful women i'm gonna wrestle and win titles are we supposed he, to be uh,
2: mad at that? He spends more time talking about the party he's going to have afterwards in the big, large hotel, uh, <laughs> which I think Gene is trying to suggest is something completely different. Yeah,
0: <laughs> a very typical Flair throwaway promo. Not not as great as piece of work
1: by. Yeah, he, he also mentions Macho Man, which should probably be a ma- like the match at this pay per
2: view, but yeah, and it's just kind yeah. of randomly switched. So thankfully, it's not a very long promo, yeah. and it goes right into their match then.
0: Yeah, goes right into the match. I'm gonna let you guys talk about this match a bit. There's, there's no real build up to speak of in this. We know that we just know that Flair wants the US title. I I'm pretty biased against Conan, so I'm gonna let you guys go for it first.
1: I'll just note right right off the bat, it's kind of weird that Flair offers a handshake right right off the bat. Yeah. So that's
2: yeah. Already, you're like, which guy's the face? <laughs> I don't know. My my perfect uh, beginning is the fact that it seems Conan has stolen a Michael Jackson jacket to wear his ring uniform.
0: He looks like... Uh, have you guys seen the movie Hook?
2: Yeah, yeah, long, like, long time ago.
0: Yeah, he looks like one of the kids from Hook. He looks like one. Are you gonna the-
2: say he looks like Rufio?
0: <laughs> he looks a bit like Rufio. He has Rufio's jacket
2: on. <laughs> so <laughs> he's a bald Rufio. Okay, yeah. I can kind of get he's behind. Grown
0: there. up Rufio, he's gone on hard times and has to fight for his money now. It's yeah, it's really tragic. His, his ring gear is just weird.
2: Yeah, it's it's odd gear. The two real things I I, I want to point out. Flair is do you know how old Flair is without looking it up at this point?
0: Uh, I want to say forty eight or something at this stage, yeah. right?
2: I'll say forty two. He's forty seven at this point in time. Wow. Not bad. And he like, to be fair to him, like he might not be in amazing shape or anything, but he he can still wrestle really, really well. Yeah. And it also yeah. made me really sad because I was like, wait, he's forty seven there and he wrestles for another ten years after this. Oh, God, Jeez, yeah. like <laughs> this is crazy. And then the other thing is that he literally does everything possible to cheat in this match. Like, he involves every valet he has, because he has two, because it's Flair, and he constantly does little rakes of the eyes, or he does, like, little pokes, things like that. He puts his feet on the ropes in the laziest possible way <laughs> to make it really obvious what he's doing, and he still gets away with it. And he, he's, like, does all of this cheating to try and set up that he's a heel... And then Conan clotheslines two of the women and it kind twice. of... Made... He
0: does it like twice. Like, mm. He dives really early in the match, Flair rolls out of the ring and he hides behind the women to get a break. And Conan just dives from the apron onto the women and just misses absolutely clocking Elizabeth by about a second. Like She has to run away. But if she doesn't, she doesn't know how to take bumps. I, I always find on a bit of a, a kind of segue, no matter where she is, elizabeth always feels really awkward to me i know
1: she's part oh of these, she is she's wooden yeah, yeah. She,
0: she's part of these very really classic moments but she's never really learned how to bump properly and she never knows what to say and no one's ever taught her so in the interview she gets asked something and she kind of just chuckles and says a random throwaway line in this she doesn't brace herself for a bump she just runs away and hope that i hope she doesn't get hit and yeah. when her spot she's real bumps, nervous
2: looking yeah
0: yeah she's real nervous she's like uh, what's that actor called from Superbad Michael Cera. It's she's like the Michael Sarah of the wrestling world like <laughs> it's like she, she wandered into a ring one day and like, really
2: offending loads of people I'm sure here at this point <laughs> like really really like Elizabeth uh, <laughs> I don't
1: know could she be any worse
2: than than woman
1: <laughs> woman's great she just shouts <laughs> oh that's so annoying <laughs> woman is
2: really annoying she does kind of redeem herself for having quite possibly the best punt to the groin i've seen oh it's so amazing. <laughs> she so, gets so right up in there
0: this like, whole match is a pretty classic flair you know getting out not out wrestled, but outstrengthed by a younger guy he does his whole surprised face which i love flair's surprise face you know he he thinks he's gonna win early he gets hit a couple times and he's like Okay, this is a match. This is a match and as as much as I say I like when people try new things, the classic flare stick is very good. And that's when the interferences start. And I don't mind a shady interference match. To be honest, not that many of these matches on the card has had outside interferences. They've had shenanigans but
1: not Yeah, that's very surprising of WCW. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, but the referee has no idea what to do. Woman and Elizabeth completely botched their spots multiple times. So the first one I have down here is woman getting involved by attacking uh, Conan. And it's the it's the big punt to the groin, as far as I know, is the first one.
1: No, yeah, she, I want to note that Dust, Dusty goes, she kicked him low. She kicked <laughs> him low.
3: <laughs> woman is in the ring. Hey, turn around, ref. Woman is in the ring. Ah!
6: She kicked him low. She kicked him low. Holy Moses. No, lower than ever.
5: I missed it my monitor went oh blind. what do you what mean
0: you
6: missed you,
5: it well we'll show it on replay for you how about it Well, my digital scope is I right. had fuzzy never seen here. I never got, seen nothing like that I got news for you Conan's digital scope's fuzzy too
2: Yeah I love Bobby for that like even if he he doesn't really like give a shit for a lot of this but like when there's a good heel in the ring Bobby will always side with them and <laughs> yeah,
1: in particular Flair like he's always allegiance to Flair yeah. as well
0: So woman basically gets into the ring and the ref sees her very blatantly getting into the ring, looks at her for a second, realizes, oh, bollocks, I'm not supposed to be looking at her. So just looks away to talk to flair in the corner for no reason. (laughs) Conan was on his feet when the ref looked away and the ref looks back and Conan doubled over on the ground. I'm like, what? How can you even pretend that this isn't a thing? Later on, woman shakes the ring ropes to knock Conan to crotch Conan. The ref is just looking at woman. Is there a DQ? Yeah, that's a DQ. That's a DQ all day.
1: <laughs> like, it
0: should be. <laughs> the ref huh. is just like, I'll allow it. Later on in this match, Conan has the figure four leg lock locked in. And the referee, he breaks it up by holding onto the rope. And the referee, for no reason, kicks his hands. And, and Rick looks up at him like, what are you doing? And grabs the rope again. And the ref's like, okay, break it up. It's just yeah. this referee being clueless. Later on, Flair has to signal to Elizabeth to get into her spot to get up on the apron because she's missed the spot. Flair then points at Elizabeth to the referee and the referee's like okay and walks over to Elizabeth and starts talking to her. Woman gets up on the apron and has her high heel in her hand. Conan and Rick wrestle for another minute and a half.
2: Yeah, and she has to wait. And
0: she has to wait and the referee stands there. Yeah, and the referee talks to Elizabeth for a minute and a half while there's wrestling going on. And then she clocks him with the heel. And then Rick puts his feet on the rope to get the pin.
2: But it's not; it's not just like feet on the rope. It's feet on like the top no, rope. The rope. <laughs> it is the best like cheaty pin I've seen in like in a very long time. Like you're like, how much more can you cheat here? <laughs> this. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what do you guys think about this match? I go two ways on Flair because I've seen so many Flair matches, especially from WCW, and this was this was yeah. kind of the same typical Flair match. It, it it's it's
2: average enough I think I don't think it ever really gets out of it and then there's too much interference to really get anything going
1: yeah that and there's there's just no story into this match so I think that's where I lost part of it I mean I think they were trying to build up that Conan like he you know he wants he wants to beat Rick for the recognition I think one of the commentators said it at, at one point so I they they got some story elements in there but yeah there's just too much going on I did just too much booking that they tried to throw in here
0: Conan's a bad wrestler, and some people are not going to like me for this because I know he has a following from this point on. But his rolling clothesline makes me die inside every time I have to watch it. It is the slowest, botchiest, missing thing I've ever seen.
1: Dave, you're making little Connor cry. He was such a Conan Mark.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He can't do a figure four. So he he locks the figure four into Rick, and Rick helps him lock it in because he's done it wrong. Rick has to get his hand and move Conan's foot into the right position. And the commentary team are like, oh, he's trying to get his foot off him. No, he's trying to put Conan's leg in the right place. So it doesn't look like the worst thing of all time.
2: I think the worst thing to come out of this, Dave, is that if if you think Conan's botching is bad, you've, you've a lot to watch.
0: <laughs> I, I heard that the clothesline gets nothing if not worse. It's also not intuitive because he throws them to the lo- rope and he rolls after them so the second they turn around they're getting clotheslined mm-hmm. so no one has any time to react and even if you know it's coming your timing is so off you're not used to getting hit the second you hit the ropes like the only other move that's similar to it is what what they would call to later the kitchen sink Austin did it a lot you'd whip them to the rope you'd run to the rope with them and you'd knead them in the midsection or flip them over your knee but you're doing like 99% of the work there you're following them when they turn around you're tucking their head and you're flipping them over your knee would this, they have to react to getting clocked in the chest by this rolling Mexican guy, <laughs> you, you know? Yeah. What yeah. does he think he is, Sonic? Ah, oh, I just hate
1: it. <laughs> yeah, I was really disappointed in this match. As, as I said, I loved Conan growing up. I love the, that, you know, maybe that's why he went to the Tequila Sunrise. He couldn't do the figure four, so. The other move he messed up, or maybe it was Flair that just didn't want to do it. They tried to do the Mexican surfboard, but just couldn't get it yeah, up or it something. It never really I,
2: sets up and it's just, oh, Okay.
1: It's one of those moves that, like, only really experienced wrestlers and cruiserweights can kind of do. Yeah. So I wasn't expecting them to, like, fully get it. When they, when he was setting up for it, I was like, no way Flair's going up for this. So disappointed in this match overall, though. Yeah, it's
2: very mediocre for all yeah. intents purposes.
0: Especially since I think Conan got so much build. Like, they really have a lot of faith in Conan. And you can see later they still have a lot of faith in Conan. After this, they really want that Me- Mexican connection. But we'll transfer from this atrocity to the next one. And it's Mean Gene outside of the Outsider's Door again this almost spoils the pay-per-view by itself meaning is outside of a door listening to the outsiders he says he can hear another person's voice a third person's voice but it's muffled like that's fine it's nonsense it doesn't need to happen you've just done this promo 20 minutes ago why do we need another one that's the exact same but then he says it's a voice that he recognizes and has heard before and when pressed about it he's like yeah someone in the company so all of a sudden there's this wide possibility since Luger has come in on Nitro you do not know when anyone is jumping ship that's the whole point Diesel was a huge jump Scott Hall was a huge jump no one expected him but all of a sudden Mean Gene has told you that it's not going to be another jump and there's still a a match to go between now and then this is atrocious for all the stick that Tony gets for his commentary this is an absolute abomination so yeah we we don't have to linger much more on this because we got a I guess an important match in the landscape. You could probably call it the second most important match in the card. It's a Giant and the Taskmaster against Aaron Anderson, Chris Benoit. Tie team match. And the stipulation is if Chris and Anderson win, that Giant has to defend his title. I think it's on the Nitro against one of the Horsemen. Any one of the Horsemen they, they can choose. This match gets eight minutes altogether. First thing I'm going to note about this is they immediately get this weird entrance where there's a fight on the ramp. Both teams don't get to come out. And Mongo comes out and hits Giant with a briefcase that Giant no sells and then chases Mongo backstage. This is an excuse for them to isolate Sullivan and build up the whole, you know, we can't fight Giant, you wanna protect them you don't want him to take any moves, you wanna protect his image. But Giant comes out like thirty seconds later. Why can't you just have Giant missing for like the most of the match
2: well I would say that the the whole point of it is that like the commentary does a reasonable job of setting this up in that they're like they basically say that Iron and, and Chris are like afraid of being one on one with Giant they're doing everything in their power to make sure and this way if you haven't come back out you get to play the whole tag team face in peril bit where like Kevin constantly is trying to bet the tag in and will he get it and like what what lengths will they go to and stuff And they do a pretty rudimentary job of, like, setting that up. There's some reasonable tag team wrestling in this. It's nothing out of the ordinary. And then when he finally gets in the ring, he shows exactly why he's the world champion at the time.
1: It goes back to our, like, discussion about, like, who's facing who's who's heel in this. And it's kind of weird that Dungeon of Doom, again, is kind of the face in this match. Oh, it does make sense... As in Giants, the world champion, so he kind of has that. But I I will mention that it is Kevin Sullivan's hometown, so th- I didn't know that while watching it. I looked it up later, so that's maybe why they were getting more cheers. Because when G- when Giant gets the hot tag, there was a decent pop, I would say. Yeah, yeah, And usually the the supposed heels are not supposed to be you know getting the hot tag and getting beaten down. So it, it was a little awkward. I wasn't a huge actually fan of this match i this is kind of seems like a nitro match to me
2: yeah it's pretty throwaway to be honest i'm not really sure like i'd have to look at their rosters but there's probably not a lot else they could have put on the show at the same time i mean i guess they could have had that tag title match which apparently was on the dark shows personally i'm not a fan of kevin sullivan i hate
1: his voice as well when trying to listen to his podcast i just can't stand him (laughs)
2: yeah it's i can't he's he doesn't look very realistic to me and the drawn on eyebrows and stuff it doesn't work
0: there's a few inconsistencies i get i get the story they're trying to tell here they want the hot tag. they want giant to do two dev- two or three devastating moves and it'd be over but there's a few inconsistencies one the giant just gets into the ring halfway through the match he doesn't need a tag he just gets in and he throws both them around and then he just leaves the ref doesn't even yeah. tell him he just gets back out of the ring also, this one was, I think, a bit of a nicer spot, but again, ruined it. They should have just had Giant do nothing the entire match. So at one stage, I think it's Chris gets too close to the Giant side and just eats a clothesline. Giant just runs across the apron and clotheslines Chris, or I, I, it might have been Aaron at that stage, and destroys him. Then when he finally gets the hot tag, Chris just fights with Sullivan outside the ring as Aaron runs away from him. So we don't get the hot yeah. tag moment of, you know, punch him a couple times, choke Sam, Giant has to get out of the ring and chase Aaron, which completely <laughs> ruins the hot tag. And while this is happening, and this is how it finishes, Chris brings Sullivan up to the sand, and they fight in the sand, and Chris does an insane suicide dive off of like some kind of raised platform.
2: Off, and, it's off the announce table area. Honestly.
0: Okay. Of course, Aaron eats a choke Sam and gets pinned in two seconds. This makes zero sense. Why did Chris brings him up there? Sullivan doesn't run or distract him. Chris just drags him up there for no reason. No continuity at all.
2: I think the point is that they're trying to set up what happens immediately afterwards, which is where Chris continues to beat Kevin to a pulp in the ring until a woman shows up and starts pleading uh, with Chris to stop. For us, obviously, looking back now, we understand what was going on because we know the background. For anybody who's, who doesn't know this, I don't know if it's exactly at this point that Chris has already started going out with woman, but woman is originally uh, Kevin's wife, and then from going on the road, I don't know if she actually cheats on Kevin or not, but she spits up with Kevin to go out with Chris Benoit instead. They end up getting married, and it's all while they're still working for the same company.
0: I, I think it's a bit after this, because I think recently there's this promo <clears throat> where Chris says that Sullivan is the game master, as in, like, he's like the master of playing games or something, like, like of, of playing games with people. And then he's like, Oh, you think you're the master of playing games with people, but our bishop just took your queen and then it turns into like woman. Oh, ghost. he does
2: say that in the promo actually. Yeah, yeah I yeah. do remember that. The tag promo, he he mentions that. Yeah. That's and one of the cringy cliche things that he says and you're like,
0: It's in this time frame, but I think it's a little bit after this pay per view yeah. that it actually happens in real life. But
2: yeah, I don't know how I don't know what point it's happened in real life, you see. I don't know if this is before or after.
0: It explains yeah. there's a weird bit but, where after Woman breaks it up, Aaron reaches over to Sullivan as if K K Fabe to, you know, are you okay? Like did you take a headshot or whatever? And Sullivan just like proper hits him, not not like punches him in the face, but hits his arm is like fuck off. So maybe tensions are already super high that would make a lot of sense.
1: It's a
2: really weird angle anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it, there's just a huge disconnect, like with the commentary team as well, because the commentary team they don't know, and mostly the fans obviously don't know that Woman is on screen. Kevin Sullivan's wife yet, like no, none of us know that. And I, I just wish they didn't. The commentary team didn't build up the Four Horsemen as being this, you know, smart team. They're dissecting Kevin Sullivan, isolating him, and then then they just kind of blow it, and they they kind of look like idiots afterwards.
0: What really doesn't make sense is Giant has had to enter and leave the arena twice now. So straight after the match, without checking on his partner or, you know, the leader of his stable, he just leaves. He has to pass Sullivan getting beaten up to leave. Then he comes back out (laughs) and shouts at Chris to fuck off.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: And picks up Sullivan and brings him back out. But he has to pass Sullivan getting beat up.
2: He also almost drops Sullivan when he's bringing him on the way out. He goes over the top rope and he doesn't realize like all the weight shifts and he nearly drops him off the top of the. <laughs> that would be a better moment, better pay per view moment. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I feel bad for Giant because I feel like he should have a match by himself because he's had one or two okay matches as a single singles wrestler as champion. I think it was uncensored. Yeah. He had a decent match. The Great American Bash match with Luger was pretty much of a dud. I don't think it was that much of his fault though because there was other reasons which we'll get into. So I, I feel bad kind of for Giant. I wish he kind of had a singles well, like, match here.
2: Even, even apart from that, he's your world champion. And he's not involved in the main event. Why isn't he in the main event? <laughs> it's important to note that Giant's career
1: just started maybe six months ago. The Halloween yeah. Havoc match was like his first match. So it's, he's still very young and very inexperienced at this point. So I, I guess I can see maybe that's why this was a t- tag team match. We're obviously going to see more of Giant coming up
0: this storyline as far as i know kind of peters out a little bit like everything kind of makes way for the nwo storylines after this and giant ends up facing hogan later right is that the
1: is that the next yeah pay-per-view? that's the next pay-per-view yeah
0: this is just all kind of thrown away this is actually the throwaway match for dungeon of doom giant facing rick flair and stuff like that. that just doesn't happen anymore and now we are going to go into our most important match the match that you could have taken away every other match from this pay-per-view because they don't care none of these matches mean anything they've changed all their long-term plans and i think you can tell by a lot of the booking they've changed all their long-term plans to be completely planned on this and it is the outsiders and their third man versus team wcw this gets a full 17 minutes pretty much and all the build-up beforehand and all this stuff afterwards so it ends up running very long i'd actually never sat down and watched this match but let's talk a bit we painted the picture of the era before the we went into the matches of podcast, but well, let's go more into what happened with Nash and Hall. And do you want to break that down a bit for us, Connor?
1: Yeah, there's a lot to digest here, and the buildup it really pays off if you watch a lot of the nitros coming up. It's really a shame because the promo package obviously does not do a disservice for us. the The promo package is fucking atrocious for this. It's, <laughs> it's the worst
2: thing I've ever seen. It's so nineties it's amazing but it's, it's, amazingly just,
1: bad, it's like. best at the beach music yeah. and it's like news headlines with sometimes like yeah. video clips and like the audio is like really faint like what
0: is I, this I, I also don't believe those headlines are from newspapers it's much
1: <laughs> up the headlines I'm like
0: that was not in a newspaper don't you lie to me Eric Bischoff
1: even worse one of the headlines is who is the third guy like damn it it's third man like what <laughs> get it right <laughs> yeah
0: it's really bad also they, the outsiders come out to the same music
1: yeah, like, which i I'm yeah. not a fan of all these these guys should not come to any music at they all. shouldn't have had any music yet no.
0: or I would have loved that they came into the crowd as well and there's lots of stuff you could have could have done that was a lot better but you have to listen to I think the the promo was like a minute two minutes long so I have to listen to that music for two minutes then I gotta listen to them coming out straight after it
2: you've also was. got to forget you have to listen to Bruce buffer do a short promo about it as well yeah because Buffer magically appears just for the main event and i mean he's a very good ring announcer he has a very particular voice and
0: why is he breaking it down like i don't mind him i don't mind him having it there i don't even mind them saying he's only doing main event because that's what bruce buffer is he's that special but why is he telling us what we already know we we're watching you have us watching the main event it is happening in two seconds you can stop selling the main event to us now Just tell me who the people are coming to the ring, Bruce. You don't have to tell me what's happened. I've watched it. (laughs) It's useless.
1: Before we get into, like, the whole match, just a quick, like, recap of, like, what's been going on. It's interesting to note that Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they got no promo packages, no vignettes as their characters, which was, I thought, like, genius going in. They don't even call them by name? No. It's very weird. It's inconsistent, because... Bischoff slips their names in like once in a while. I don't know if it was on purpose or
2: not. I think it's very late in the match itself that one of them gets referenced. But pretty much other than that, they're just called outsiders for the entire Which thing. Which is awesome. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think I remember them being a bit more liberal with Hall's name. I think they say Hall a couple times. But I kept an ear and they just called Nash big guy through the whole thing. And it's because they don't know what they're going to name them, right? They're they're in disputes. I I was saying to Connor before we start... uh, We start taping the podcast... That I thought it was cool that there's this contrast between... Face painted... Old school... Basically WWF wrestlers... And Randy... And Lex... And Sting... And this is the old generation... And the outsiders... Kind of represent... Realism... And when I was giving a brief history... When Ted Turner took over the company... He turned it into WWF light. A lot of people kept uh, loyal to wcw because they were basically old nwa all about athletics very few gimmicks until dusty got into power and he started pushing gimmicks and until ted turner wanted it to be more like wwf and all of a sudden we have this stark difference that's the outsiders are real they're dangerous they don't have gimmicks they're just bad dudes but that's kind of not on purpose they don't have gimmicks because they're kind of being sued for their gimmicks they're not allowed to use their names because they're yeah. WWF names i was saying it's really cool how he basically started off with razor Ramon moment at the name but it gets shaved back episode by episode but apparently connor was saying that's because they were in trouble for making him too much like razor ramon
2: yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, he had to be more himself and have less of the gimmick it brings about a funny story, which I do believe in that uh, because they were on WCW, so WWF decided to make other versions of Razor Ramon and Diesel. So Matt Bourne gets to play Razor Ramon for a couple of months or however long it is, and then uh, it's Kane that it's plays. It's Kane, yeah. Uh, Glenn Jacobs uh, gets to be Diesel, and they're on it for a while. But when they've started doing this this angle, Scott and kevin they've signed verbal agreements they haven't actually signed any contract so technically like they're not with the company still so they're showing up and they're getting paid to do whatever they're they're doing on those shows and so on and so forth wf responds by saying oh we're gonna have razor ramon and diesel on next week on raw and all the wcw are like they're playing us for fools they've just told us that they're gonna be on our show and they're they agreed to this whatever and now they're they're going back to the company they've, they've signed contracts or something and so they get a phone call from uh, whatever executive is in charge of WCW at the point in time. And he goes, listen, uh, we've got to talk to you. you got to come out to, to wherever you are. I think they, they fly them out to Atlanta. And uh, they go, we want to make sure, like, we want it to be more than just these contracts. So we're willing to give you another, uh, what's the figure? I think it's another half a million each on their contracts. And their contracts are already very, very big. And because of yeah. the way it works with their contracts, if kevin gets any more money scott has to be paid the same amount it's in his contract he has to get the most amount of money whoever's getting paid the most amount yeah so it's
0: it's, it's, it's not only kevin and scott it's oh yeah anyone it's, it's
2: everybody whoever is the most so they're like okay because they know full well that they're not on raw or whatever I and mean, they were like we want you to sign this right now physical contracts you'll be you're binded and they're like yeah okay yeah fine they sign away they're just like great we got an extra half million dollars for nothing and then they stand in the production truck for Nitro, I think it is, like, the following week. So they're standing behind, and WWF, they have, they have it on the TV. They're saying, yeah, so Razor Ramon and Diesel are going to come out now, and they show the two of them, and it's the two fake lads. Kevin just says that they just kind of looked around, and he just shrugged his shoulders at them. It's <laughs> just like, how did you guys not know that this was, was going on? Like, and they're like, whatever, we'll just, we'll just take extra money.
1: Yeah, it was it was in a very important time of their it was just the way their contracts kind of they had disputes <laughs> the, the point is they they got out right at the same time and they're good friends and that's part of what makes this angle work the first time hall makes his appearance is on memorial day may 27th and we're we're talking about bash at the beach this is Del- july so this is over a month and a half of booking stuff that were dedicated to this main event buildup. Back at that Nitro, this once again, it was the first two-hour format Nitro, and WCW obviously planned this the, the way they wanted. In the first hour, they made sure they had the quintessential promo of WCW declaring war.
6: You people, What's with him you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. When that Ken doll lookalike comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for billionaire Ted, for the Nacho Man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one
1: as far as the promo though it's an awesome promo like i never had the respect for hall just because I, I saw him later in his career where he's drugged up like a ton so i yeah, seen him in his early state and i was just really surprised with this promo work and so basically in this promo another thing i don't like is he kind of disrupts the match and the rest wrestlers just kind of walk away which is always kind it, of it's really me.
2: strange isn't it they're just kind of like uh who are you and then they just leave.
1: We'll just walk away. Like, it, I I just wish all that needed to happen was, like, they walk up and, like, hey, what are you doing? Like, Hall, like, pushes them away or something. Yeah, the, the basics of the promo, he calls out Bischoff. Later on, they'll reveal a challenge. And the typical line, you want a war, you're going to get one. The second hour, he issues a challenge. And he tells Bill and Air Ted to get his best three guys that were taking over. And then Eric and Bobby are like, we don't know what to say, and they just kind of like... Yeah, they just kind of leave us. End the show, a typical way, like, it's like, oh, it's live TV, like, oh, we didn't know this was going to happen, we should cut off, stop, so... And then the next Nitro, Hall comes out again, keeps referring to Wii, Sting comes out, does his awesome promo about defending WCW, and basically challenges Hall right there, but hall gives him like you can't tell me what to do stuff like that they're they're the outlaws in this matchup and then he says oh i got a big surprise for you and then of course the next nitro the big surprise of course is kevin nash
2: who who utters the immortal line because at the time nitro's tagline was where the big boys play and so he gets to go is this where the big boys play really this is it (laughs) and completely runs down the entire roster on his well, first appearance. Well, the big thing there too was he says look at the adjective play. I thought that's what you were getting at.
0: <laughs> that that is one of the most replayed things he said that that's kind of botched. The the other thing I really like is when they say the big guy and the medium guy. And you can see that he goes to say the big guy and the small guy, but thinks, you know what? I'm not that small. That, that doesn't make <laughs> yeah. much sense. Big guy and medium guy.
2: Hall's a big dude. Yeah, <laughs>
0: Hall, Hall is not medium by any stretch. Hall is Hall is a very big guy.
2: If I'm remembering right, he's like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. Like he's, he's,
0: he's the second biggest guy in the match. And there's not small people in this wrestling match.
1: Yeah. No. I wasn't really too impressed with this promo. I, I thought it was just kind of awkward. At one point he says the show is as interesting as March Scott reading excerpts. From Mein I
2: wow,
1: Where did you get that from? <laughs> why,
0: why don't they run that? in all the promos nowadays. Seriously,
1: yeah. March Scott apparently was like the owner of the Reds or something, and the, it's nineties trivia wow. stuff. I was like, I'm not gonna that's, go deep into this. That's
2: really specific.
1: Apparently, she was like a Nazi sympathizer. So I, it's just we're not gonna get into it. But that's really? that's really weird, really weird throwaway line. But he does uh, call out Hogan and Macho Man. I just wanted to point out that Hogan does get called out numerous times during this kind of build up. So I just thought that was interesting that they kind of planted the seed there.
0: Yeah, it makes the whole thing make more sense because I was making a comment, having never seen the run up when we start pitching the area for this podcast, is would people have not known it's Hogan because he hasn't shown up and no one's talked about him for a couple of weeks? It kind of throws a red herring in if you're one before the Gene Oakland thing, you thought it was just going to be someone like Bret Hart, which people would have lost their mind over. And two, they were directly challenging him. And, you know, if you if you already dissected, that means nothing. But it's just these little things that make you wonder who it is. You know, no way it can be.
1: And open. Hogan's been gone for a while. He wasn't at the previous two pay-per-views. But continuing on, Bischoff invites them to the Great American Bash. And hopefully WCW can choose their guys. And so at the Great American Bash, Bischoff accepts the invitation. I like how Hall responds and says, oh, they fell into the big trap," Which is, I, I thought, kind of interesting that, that this is their big plan of kind of fooling them into a match almost weird moment that bischoff asks them do you work for the wwf
2: it's very very upfront isn't it yeah they're so
0: painstaking and you'll see after this match the promo cut to avoid saying the words wwf they go as far to call it the big organization in the north yeah and stuff like that like it's some kind of game of thrones reference i don't know like it's just so (laughs) it's so weird the way he says it and it's so painstaking and it breaks the flow of promos but you have to say it that way because you can't mention your competition's name, but Bischoff was like, whatever, just throw it out there. Break the mystique.
1: <laughs> yeah, the big moment, though, at the Great American Bash, though, is Bischoff can't tell them Team WCW says, you know, we're going to reveal it in Nitro, as they usually do. Yeah. Outsiders get pissed, you can't jack us around, is what um, Hall says, and Nash power bombs Bischoff through a couple tables. And
0: I'm, I'm not the biggest Kevin Nash fan, and one of the reasons is because he's the laziest man on earth, and as a good friend of me and Gus likes to say, Kevin will do about 20% of a wrestling move and you got to do the rest. And that's, <laughs> that's his finisher personified. The jackknife is about 20% of a powerbomb. And God help you if you don't do a lot of that move yourself, you're landing on your head. And it looks so awkward when he puts Eric through the table.
1: This is kind of like the problem with the build-up. It's like it's too much about Bischoff, which I don't like, and that's why I don't like about this pay-per-view is like the audience doesn't really care about Eric Bischoff, so like he's kind of like forced into this angle, which I understand what where they're going within the future, but at this point, it's like it should be more about Sting versus the outsiders, because like Sting is like the WCW guy. He's like the only guy that never went to the WWF, so. Like, I wish there was more confrontations between those two groups.
0: Well, this is as good a time as any. The entire pay-per-view, they've been making it about Bischoff because every two seconds, like, where's Bischoff? His family's going to be so concerned. I heard he was supposed to be here. Has anyone seen Bischoff? Has anyone checked on Bischoff? This storyline goes nowhere. And why we haven't focused on it a lot in the show is because he just shows up at one of the next Nitros and they're like, where have you been? He's like, oh, I I was around. And that's it. That's the throwaway. It doesn't go anywhere. Literally, they're making such a big deal out of it. And I think what, what happens, honestly, is Bischoff is portrayed in a very good light nowadays because he's on good terms with the company and stuff. But he kind of just wanted to be cool. Bischoff wants more than anything to be the cool dude. So when the NWO gets really over, I think Bischoff starts to plan to become part of it. So I think he goes from, oh, I was going to say I was kidnapped and getting hurt and that I'd be the face or whatever, to, no, screw that, I want to be in the NWO, they're cool.
2: I think that was always the plan, Dave.
0: You think that was always the plan?
2: Yeah, I think so.
0: So you think they just, like, went with some of this booking like, ah, no, it's bad, we'll just leave it.
2: No, like I think the the point is like he they just didn't follow through in it, but I think the intent was to be like, why wasn't he there? And then later on, it's like, well, this is why I wasn't there because not... I was helping them. <laughs> oh, sure, sure,
1: okay. Not, and they not... just
2: there's just gaps in the story, like. Okay, <laughs> as, that's as that, makes they a, can do.
1: that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah. So moving on, WCW the Nitro, of course, they select their three, and we said this earlier. They kind of had six of their best, and actually, no, Giant was a part of this six. So it was Hogan, Giant. Rick Flair, Luger, Sting, and Macho. Really, nothing else to comment on here because Mean Gene just announces the three. Really, no presentation, which I'm kind of bummed about. Like it should have been this like huge kind of presentation that they built up. And no, just Mean Gene just says it, and then that's end nothing. of the show.
2: <laughs> See you later, guys. Thanks. Uh, so
1: I guess that's my big problem with with this kind of whole build up is Team WCW kind of gets sticked in the end just because they they get a couple promos, but it's just it's all about the NWO. So yeah. I understand it in that point, but. So there's two other Nitros, and the NWO just kind of have run-ins. One of them is they buy tickets to the arena. Nothing really happens in that one. The other one is they disrupt a main event tag team match where they come in with baseball bats, but the security kind of swarms the ring. It's really cool. Like They seem like a huge threat to WCW, like the yeah. police officers. like They are stroking their guns and stuff like that. So it's just those two weeks before Bash at the Beach it was just kind of like this buildup of them trying to take over, but WCW is still... They're putting up a fight. When they kind of leave the ring after buying their tickets, the whole locker room comes out and swarms them. That's where the line comes in. Oh, look at the clowns and stuff like that. But security kind of brushes them off. But that's where we're at, and that's yep. that brings us to this point.
0: I think it's a pretty... Even looking back at it now and having all the information about how it plays out over the next five years, I think being a bit objective, it's a really good build-up. And you can see exactly why people are chomping at the bit. And even though this pay-per-view is like 245 long and this is only half an hour of the exchange, maybe a little bit less. People are so pumped to see this match when the Outsiders come out. Like People are so excited. And they've had to go through a lot of filler to get here. So I think it's really well built. Though you can point out mistakes. I think it's still great when they hit the ring, when the Outsiders hit the ring. Even though their music is terrible. It's just a bash of the beach music. They give a really nice short cocky heel promo where it's like where's your turd guy this is all we need
3: i don't see three man here tonight where is your partner you know scheme gene chico
6: you know too much already all you need to know little
3: man is he's here and he's ready well if he's well wait a minute where is he is your partner telling me that your third man is in the building oh he's here all right gene we got enough to handle it
5: right now right here oh for quite come on oh man i'm gonna come on they cannot handle our three guys
0: then we get the wcw team coming out massive pop the match itself isn't talked about a lot in history you know we get the before we get the after we don't get the match and it's not it's not a five-star match but they give the crowd what they want straight away and lex and macho and sting are jumping all over the outsiders and they're making them look a little bit weak They do a spot where Kev is holding down Lex in the corner, kind of their boat on the apron, and he's holding him against the turnbuckle. Stinger does a sting splash, and Lex sells the neck. He he sells that he's knocked out. They need to take him back, and it leaves it on a two-on-two tag. And I I like that spot a lot. What do you guys think of that?
1: Man, I go both ways on this. I love the psychology of the injury spot, but the execution is fucking god-awful because... It needs to look more believable. Maybe it's because I'm a, we've seen so much blood and guts and huge high spots in wrestling that it just doesn't look believable. But it needs to look more devastating, though. And maybe they just need to show it in a better way, like a different camera angle, because I didn't even see it happen. Like, I actually had to rewind. And I was like, wait, how did Luger get knocked out? I don't know maybe they botched us a little bit but it looks like Nash just got more of the worst of it and it's really only my like main negative with this match though
2: yeah I'd, I'd agree with that generally I, I do think it's a good spot like I think it's the good idea like you're saying with the psychology behind it I think it, go- it does a good setup because I can't remember if Bobby mentions it or not but he's like maybe he'll come back and then maybe you can run the idea that oh maybe Lex comes back and then he helps the NWO and uh, he's the third guy and this is just a ploy like to get him out of the match so he can come back later kind of thing it's totally overbooked this match like there's loads of shenanigans and there's loads of stuff that goes down in it
1: Another problem with the injury spot to going back to that, it kinda of broke up the momentum a little bit. It kinda of quieted the crowd down. But luckily, like Sting is awesome and he gets the crowd back into it. After getting slapped, like Sting he just snaps and he just tackles Hall.
2: There's also uh I'm trying to remember what spot it is, but somebody messes up Randy. Yeah, okay.
1: So yeah, Kevin Nash, he go he yeah. slams uh Macho down and then he goes for like an elbow drop
2: and just looks oh, like yeah, he yeah. just and Randy nails just the goes neck. to get up and he just nails him right in the neck, yeah. Oh.
0: It's a complete accident. Nash is already on his way down Randy sits up but does it a little late and gets it full on the the back of the head it's pretty bad, so you can tell Randy just has to be out of the ring for a bit, but soldiers on anyway.
1: Yeah, I thought Keenan covers it up kind of nicely because he's worrying, oh, no, is, is Savage hurt? Like, what, what are we going to do now if, like, we have two guys hurt? So yeah. I, I like that fear of just being down, guys, and the outsiders are trying to, like, really hurt the WCW guys and put them out of action.
0: There's a little example of Nash being really lazy again halfway through the match. So Scott does most of the action, and Nash does some of the bigger, you know, I'm a big guy, it's hard to knock me down spots. But Nash is on the apron. They have control of stink and they're doing the abdominal—I can't say that word—abdominal stretch. stretch yeah. yeah, they're they're taking turns doing it. Scott goes to tag Nash out at one stage before the spot start starts, and Nash just shakes his head like I don't want to be in the ring. <laughs> he just, <like, laughs> just like keep going, and like Nash like puts his hand back. He's like no like give me another two big, minutes to rest that was enough of a big spot kev was
2: great i know big
1: kev <laughs> yeah. like, actually one thing i did love about nash is he shoves macho with his boots like while he's going over the top rope i don't know if you guys saw that yeah. like, exactly.
2: you can see like because kev hasn't wrestled since wrestlemania like wrestlemania is his last match previous he's actually on wrestlemania 12 so that he has that really good match with the undertaker and like he's off for like three months and it's clear that he hasn't really been working out because he's got quite the belly that he kind of hides as much as possible with his ring gear but you're like you are so out of shape man <laughs>
0: he's gassed after his couple spots in that match for sure I, I think it's a fine psychology match as i said early injury wcw look like they might run away with it and it's stupid for the heels to come out with two guys but the early injury slows it down there he start heel stay in control macho man is doing his crazy i don't know how to do stuff gimmick where he's jumping into the ring randomly so the ref is distracted i think it's fine psychology it's not five star new stuff but it builds up the crowd it builds
1: up the crowd to a crescendo i wanted to mention one point of commentary that really bothered me so bobby asked the question what are we going to do if if they win this match and tony just gives an awful response he says i don't know take a board and hit him over the head with it these are the moments from tony Schiavone that make me cringe (laughs) is that the best answer you can come up with seriously and then you know we're gonna talk about a line that bobby says later but this is the kind of crap that like you can kind of cover up this commentary that bobby brings up if you just believe in what he's saying and act like feed off from him more you know
0: so a a good piece of commentary that at first i blew off as stupid but i think it's actually good is i think heenan says it he's like oh we could just get a third guy out right there's no rules to this match just get another guy out it plants the seed in the viewer's head that they're gonna get a third good guy out there and that that's what happens that's how it's set up it's machos in trouble stings in trouble looks like they're gonna get the win all of a sudden hogan hits string he's been gone for weeks he, he looks ready for action. It's Hollywood. I'd like to reiterate with people because they might not be used to this with modern wrestling. Hogan has never been a heel since his WWF run. Since he's been a household brand and he's done the WrestleManias and he's done so much for WWF and he's jumped ship. He has been the all-American guy never close to turning and not even a signal of ever turning. It's a bit like the modern day... Well, maybe people are going to look back at this in a few years and say, This is a stupid comment. But it's like the modern day John Cena. It's not even close to coming to turning. It's getting the kids into the market. Back then, no one even thought of it. Nowadays, whenever there's a face, we're like, We should turn him heel. Because look how good it was for the NWO and Hogan. But back in those days, it wasn't thinkable. Hogan's never a heel. That's stupid. So when he marches down to the ring and the outsiders scatter. And he turns around. He drops that leg on Randy... I think looking with unbiased eyes, I think it's a fantastic moment, I think it certainly lives
5: up. And then there was one, and it was Sting and he didn't look too good. Hulkamania! Hulk Hogan is here! Hulk Hogan's here!
6: Hulk Hogan is in the building! you damn right he is! Go get him Hulk, Hulk sir! Yeah but whose side is he on? Go, what are you talking about? Whose side is he on? What are you talking about? Yes yeah, sir! Get in, Hogan! Go get him, baby! Come on and get some of this now. Who's bad now, boys? Hulk Hogan arrived. Hulk! Hulk! Hulk. What is he doing? Oh my God! Is he the third man? He's the third man. What the hell is going on here? Hulk Hogan has betrayed WCW. He is the third man. Look at this picture. Oh my God! What the hell is going on? Oh my God! Are you kidding me? Uh, Probably
5: the lowest shot ever given to professional wrestling that man did right there, Hulk Hogan. Let's get everybody out of the dressing room right now and kick his rear end. Unbelievable, brother.
6: What have I been saying all these years? What have I been saying all these years? Oh 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 my god!
1: So this is really one of the more infamous calls in wrestling like you you watch the build-up to this match and knowing heenan like this call doesn't really bother me and i'm I'm gonna kind of play devil's advocate here heenan has always kind of shown a distaste for hogan as a heel commentator for years and years and years and years and years i understand the big problem of kind of like he kind of jumps the gun and i think my problem more with is i think dusty and tony could have defended hogan better and that's kind of what i was going to earlier about you know bobby asks the question what are we going to do if if they win this match and tony gives that crappy yeah. response like it's kind of the same thing here that can kind of bring down bobby's like bobby you're just talking crazy again like hogan would never betray us blah 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 what what do you t-? the way dusty says what are you talking about like it kind of that kind of ruins the moment here because that is like it's like dick dastardly to- style yeah yeah you know? and I, I don't think like him putting the doubt really ruins the the reveal because like Hogan kind of sells it really nicely until like you know when he gets in the ring you still don't know and and the outsiders obviously get out of the way too it's not until he does the leg drop where it's it's really there you still have some doubt so
0: I think I'm kind of coming on side for for a long while I thought Bobby ruined it of course that's what prior knowledge I've never seen this clip without knowing what happens this is the problem I've never got to see it with like a new eyes I think you guys have convinced me and it's maybe not Bobby's fault and I've blamed Bobby for a long time maybe it's the other commentators need to pick up the slack a bit but certainly it's a moment that is down in infamy and it's hard to say I think it ruins it a bit I I do think it ruins the moment and spoils it
2: I think Connor hits the nail on the head when he says it's like if you've watched wrestling at any point previous to this you know what Bobby is like This is Heenan's character, and it's the way it has always been ever since the like mid late eighties, and it's the way he has always been with Hogan. So it is naturally his ability to he has never trusted Hogan. He always points out all the stuff that Hogan does wrong, and a lot of the time he's right. Like Hogan does so many things that are like typically bad guy things, like raking the back. He does pokes in the eye. He does all this kind of like subtle heelish stuff when he's like the WWF champion. And Bobby always calls it out on him. And he's like, that's ridiculous. You can't... Why isn't the ref stopping this match? Why isn't there a DQ? Blah, and so on and so forth. So it's it's exactly what Bobby would say when you're like, oh, hang on, this is the situation. Why should we trust him? He's always been a sniveling blah, 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 My, The other thing, I guess, where I'm coming from too is the commentators
1: constantly put over that it could be anybody. So that's why I didn't feel too out of the norm that's like oh well it could be hogan because you know he's running out his music doesn't play which is awesome i think that's the way like running yeah. should happen in wrestling it's a cool shock factor when like you know stole cold hits the ring and the the glass breaks and it comes out out of nowhere but it's just like it doesn't in real wrestling terms, it doesn't make sense because it's like, all oh, right, yeah. hey, guy, play my music. Play I'm going to run music, out Derek there. i got to go out here. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: Stone Cold kind of ruined it on everyone because it became really popular when he he did it because, God, he ran yeah. into more matches than he actually fought. But his music was perfect for it because it's such a, ah, mark out, one big noise kind of yeah. thing where lots of music doesn't lend itself. Like, imagine Rick's music playing when, when he <laughs> interferes. It just doesn't have the same effect, you know?
1: And definitely. I guess my last point too is just just the solid fact that Hogan's been away from TV for three months. They've brought up Hogan a few times, Hall and Nash calling him out during promos, and and he was also like one of the random six. So it's just like just him not being there. I guess that's why it's just like, well, this guy hasn't been around. Like, why? Like, who whose side is he actually on? You know,
2: maybe he would have been better if 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 he if you knew he was there. I don't know. It's it's kind of hard to tell. At this point, it doesn't really matter. This is still one of the biggest moments that wrestling has ever seen i guess the final nitro is probably bigger because it's such a weird moment so there is that but this is up until that point i think is probably the biggest thing that's ever happened to wrestling
0: i'm not the biggest hogan fan i i, I don't think he's terrible by any stretch like other people would say but uh, i i get i get a bit annoyed because he is one of the guys with my pet hate. it's the same shtick over and over and over again Though he is reinventing himself a little, a little bit here. He's like the least reinvented of the NWO, I guess, in the end. Also, it's funny that it's Randy and not Stinger, because any time Hogan goes over, it has to be over Randy, right?
1: <laughs> but I agree with you, Dave. I've never been that much of a Hogan fan either, really. But as far as reinventing himself, though, the promo.
3: What in the world are you thinking?
6: Me Gene, the first thing you need to do is to tell these people to shut up if you want to hear what I got to say.
3: I have been with you for so many years. For you to join up with the likes of these two men absolutely makes me sick to my stomach.
6: Well, the first thing you got to realize, brother, is this right here is the future of wrestling. You can call this the New World Order of Wrestling, brother. These two men right here came from a great big organization up north. And everybody was wondering who the third man was. Well, who knows more about that organization than me, brother?
3: I've been there. I've done that. You have made the wrong decision in my opinion. Well, let me tell you something. I made that organization
6: a monster. I made people rich up there. I made the people that ran that organization rich up there, brother. And when it all came to pass, the name Hulk Hogan, the man Hulk Hogan, got bigger than the whole organization, brother. And then, billionaire Ted, amigo, he wanted to talk turkey with Hulk Hogan. Well, billionaire Ted, Promise me movies, brother. Billionaire Ted promised me millions of dollars. And Billionaire Ted promised me world caliber matches. And as far as Billionaire Ted goes, Eric Bischoff and the whole WCW goes, I'm bored, brother. That's why these two guys here the so-called outsiders. These are the men I want as my friends. They're the new blood of professional wrestling brother. And not only are we gonna take over the whole wrestling business with Hulk Hogan and the new blood, the monsters with me,
3: we will destroy everything in our path, Mean Gene. Look at all of this crap in this ring. This is what's in the future for you if you wanna hang around the likes of this man Hall and this man Nat. As far as
6: I'm concerned, all this crap in the ring represents these fans out here. For two years, brother, for two years, I held my head high. I did everything for the charities. I did everything for the kids in the reception I got when I came out here. You fans can stick it, brother.
0: I like the promo a lot, and I, I don't like his promo style. Unlike other people from that, era, I don't mind the shouty 80s, 90s, uh, early 90s style of promos. Like, I love Macho Man promos, like I said earlier. And I hate Hogan saying brother every two seconds. It really grates on my insides. But I, I think he, he, he delivers from kind of a little bit of uh, truth. You know, I've made all the money in the world. I've made companies big. I got brought here and I got promised stuff. But, like, I'm not even your world champion anymore. You know, this is boring. It's all the same stuff I've done. So why not just do what I want with all my money? And you, they, he gives you a proper reason
2: to
1: hate
0: him. It's his
1: best promo of his career, I think. I I can't think of one that's even close to this. Uh, Yeah, it
2: it has to be. Yeah, by far. far. All his WWF ones are are pretty much the same thing over and over. I
1: think the main reason why is just he needed to make sure he got it right. It's the biggest heel turn in history. He also needed leverage since his contract was coming up. He had some doubts of actually turning in this angle, but he obviously he went up with it. And my only comments with it, it'd be it dragged on maybe a little bit too long. And I probably could have done without the catchphrase at the end and the infinite amount of brother brothers, as you said, Dave. But <laughs> overall, I was I was really impressed with this uh, promo and the the garbage being thrown into the ring. Like there was times where it, you could tell it was real, like a huge like thing of like coke was like thrown when yeah. Mean Gene was being like was going into the ring oh, was, was
2: animosity from the crowd they're like going this is absolute bullshit how can you do this to us
0: yeah you, you can he's, ha-
2: been, he's been a good guy for so long it's probably about the guts of 15 years at that point yeah so there's entire loads of fans that just don't have any other concept of him as a person and for him to do something like that is incredulous to them so yeah I, I really love the promo like it's a one-off it's such a big moment in the history and it changes both companies like very dramatically because Forever. of this over the next five years uh, and has lots of knock-on effects, which we're going to see in the next couple of episodes.
0: My one critique of the promo would be there is zero need to have Mean Gene out there. Like, just grab a mic. You're the NWO now. You, you're going to run rampant for the next couple months doing whatever the... To... The fuck you want on any show. You don't need Mean Gene to hold a mic up for you. In fact, it's really awkward because Gene's arm gets tired and you can tell because Hulk is so tall and he has to keep pushing <laughs> the mic back up to his mouth because Gene just can't hold the mic up for that long. <laughs> you know, I don't blame him. He's holding it over his head like Hogan is two of Gene. It's it's probably not the lightest thing to be holding up like that.
1: So- yeah, Dave, you actually bring up a really great point. That part doesn't follow continuity because when Hall first comes out, he like demands a mic or whatever and most of the other promos it's them the outsiders they kind of grab the mic from either like bischoff or somebody else
2: i guess you can argue because hogan is with the company so he is still under contract in continuity so he's still an employee so they can do that i guess Mm -hmm. it's a very very slim one there I'm, i'm trying to play play the other side here but yeah, I, I do see what you're saying. Like it, it is a bit odd. That they're like that he shows up.
1: I do love uh, Kevin and and Scott. They they're doing the the Hogan poses in the ring. Like they're kind of <laughs> hamming it up. They, I love that.
0: Well, there's a bit of a story. I'll segue a little bit before we're, we're coming to the end of the show that I like about this, and it's uh, Ke- Kevin Nash. are still like this is all new territory, and these guys are still very unsure about these turns and what's going to do. But obviously, people go ballistic. For this, and people throwing garbage. That doesn't happen in modern and that stage of wrestling anymore. People don't get that amped since, you know, kayfabe was broken. People now know wrestling isn't real, so people don't get that angry anymore, and they do for this angle. It's insane. It's been the most since wrestlers used to get stabbed in parking lots for being bad guys, you know? They were really worried would this keep up because... They said they recognized. You don't know. There's a lot of he said, she said out there. But they said they recognized that the fans loved how real and gritty it was. And that they were really scared that Hulk Hogan would fall back into his, What you gonna do, brother? Eat your vitamins or not. I don't care. I'm a bad guy now. Kind of of stupid promos. So they went up to Hulk and they were like, Listen, we're gonna cut some promos for Nitro. We need you to like, to downtone your personality. We need it to be like aloof and and dark he's like yeah no i got you i know what you guys want i know what you you want brother and but he could see exact same promo he's done for 20 years in mm-hmm. in the production and he's pointing and giving it to brothers and what you're gonna do and it's terrible and holland nash are like oh my god here goes our paycheck right down the drain we had like we had the world in the palm of our hands and it's just floating away so they go to the guy in the production truck and he's like what can we do to make this good and the guy's like what if we made a black and white and really blurry, and just shook it around all the time, and we we only cut in a couple of his sentences, and they're like, "That's genius." That's a, that's wrong with that, and that's how like the NWO style was born. That's how like their promos kind of style was born.
1: I I do want to pull up, or I do want to point out one last point that I thought changed the kind of the business tier too that you kind of brought up there. That this was kind of the first, or at least the first kind of moment that I can think of that you really have anti heroes in wrestling when the outsiders kind of came onto the scene in nitros they were kind of getting some pops like there was diesel Chance a lot at a lot of nitros and stuff like that like these obviously when hogan turned like that was like they're full-fledged bad guys here but like they were being cheered and this obviously this trickled down to the business obviously with stone cold and just the rest of wcw going forward as well
2: oh big time i definitely agree with that yeah they like it, it became cool to be an NWO fan because it was the hottest thing. So there's definitely a play, and the, like you can see, and we'll point it out as it goes along. But like they would appropriate a lot of different cultural trends at the time. They like attached themselves to like rap music and and like whatever was big at the time. So then they found like, okay, what what do guys wear that looked cool? Yeah, wearing
1: jeans there. and the t shirt, so wearing...
2: beanies and do rags and stuff like that, and you're like. These are like 40-year-old white dudes. <laughs> but they're really popular because they're just they're connecting with their fans. So, yeah, they make a big difference. And it changes. It completely changes how people perceive good and bad and so on in the business.
0: I, I think this goes to show how hard it is to be a face. And it, this still rings true today. And I think it's a stark contrast from uh, we were talking about Conan earlier in the card. And how terrible he is as just an all-out good guy. Because it's hard. you got you got a lot of strict rules as a good guy. You have ethics you got to follow, otherwise fans just won't like you. And you got to do that while still staying in touch with fans and being cool. The NWO had zero restrictions on anything they did. And sometimes that was terrible. We are going to come across a lot of terrible angles. But sometimes that was the epitome of cool. They didn't care. They got to do what they want. But that also meant they got to bring in a lot of creative, cool stuff into the industry that we, we hadn't seen in America this this stuff was going on in Japan like th- there is a storyline that this is basically ripping off Hogan had been a heel basically in Japan yeah I think it was before WCW the Japanese crowd had seen this but there wasn't massive internet coverage or any at all of these events back then uh, you had to get you, you used to get ECW on uh on VHS tapes sent over to you from people who are at the actual events you know so the coverage just wasn't there no one in America had seen this being done realistically so it's just so different than anything else that's another reason for its popularity it is so different to any other wrestling product in north america or even mexico at that stage so i think at the end of the pay-per-view we've talked about how lines have been blurred between face and heel but i think if you were to ask me whose side are you on at the end of this i'm on wcw side i'm angry i hate hogan i hate nash at the end of this Gus, whose side are you on at the end of this?
2: I've got to go with the bad guys. I always love bad guys, like, <laughs> at the end of the day. And I'll always be a WWF guy. So seeing Hall and Nash on top, got to go with them.
0: What do you think you give the whole pay-per-view? Out of, we're going to have a simple out-of-ten rating here.
2: It's probably, say, a six. And it's largely for the first and last match. Everything else is kind of superfluous. You could, like... If you literally just watched the first match and the last match, you got 90% of the pay-per-view. Okay. But the, the last match is so important, I would watch it just for that.
0: Connor, at the end of the pay-per-view, whose side are you on?
2: Oh, I'm on Gus's
1: side. I'm actually on the MWO side for this one. I, I thought Hall was amazing throughout the build-up. I mean, it's hard to look back at this or put myself into kind of 96 Connor. I just love believable stables and i love stables that have an obvious goal so that's i guess that's why i kind of love the nwo and what they's what they stood for initially and i thought they were booked as perfect heels in this match it just definitely holds up besides the you know luger getting injured and as far as like the whole pay-per-view like as a whole yeah if if it wasn't for the opening match in the main event it would have been a lackluster show and but the third man reveal—it's one of the most iconic moments in wrestling history. For that alone, I think it's definitely worth watch. I love long term booking as well. Something I wish would happen more in wrestling. So I would—I would give it maybe seven, seven, 10
0: Well, I think it's been a successful first outing. Thank you all for listening and staying with us all the way through. I know this is going to be a long one. We've had to explain the backstory. This is the, probably the longest one we're—we're we're going to have. But if you want to contact us at the podcast. We are on Twitter. We're on Facebook. WCW versus NWO podcast on both those platforms. But well, I think that's us wrapped up for today. Next pay per view we will be looking at is Hog Hogwild.
2: Oh, I'm saying that right? Can't wait! Can't
0: wait! So ne- next next episode, you're gonna be looking forward to seeing the NWO uh, spanking a booty. <laughs> from Dave, from Fergus, from Connor. We'll see you next time.
5: We have seen the end of Hulkamania for Bobby the Brain Heenan, for for Dusty Rhodes, Gene Okerlund. I don't know. I'm Tony Schiavone. Hulk Hogan, you can go to hell. We're out of here. Straight to hell.